Oh, my God. 
five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a uh, to a Tuesday morning here in the uh, nine days format. It's Tuesday, August 6th, the 5th of Menachem Av. As I said, Tuesday of the nine days, which is really this year, 10 days, the 10th day being the observance of Tisha B'Av on Sunday. 74 degrees, 88% humidity, winds in north at 3 miles an hour. Afternoon thunderstorms with a high of 83. Then tonight, partly cloudy, low 73. Tomorrow afternoon thunderstorms, a high of 87 degrees. Yushalayim is at 82. Our friends up in Guilford, New York at Camp Missouri, they're at 55. We're at 74 here in New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. Rabbi Beryl Wines Lectures. Information, 1-800-499-WEIN, 1-800-499-WEIN, or RabbiWine.com, RabbiWEIN.com. Rabbi Wine on the Haftorah of Tishabov. The Haftorah we read on Tishabov at JM in the AM. The Haftorah that uh, I'm going to deal with is the Haftorah for Tishabov for the ninth day of all, the saddest day of the Jewish calendar. And the Haftorah is uh, from the prophet Yirmiyahu. You know that there's a word in English that's called a uh, Jeremiah. A Jeremiah is an elegy, a uh, sad, uh, doleful uh, type of prophecy. Well, uh, this is the chapter that they got the word from. This Haftorah is not only uh, sad, but the Novi uh, recites it in almost a ferocious tone. And that's why it's according to the custom of the Ashkenazim, it is the Haftorah for the morning of Tishabov. The uh, Svardim have a different Haftorah, uh, which is uh, in its way uh, more, uh, I don't want to say cheerful, but it's less ferocious than this one. I will utterly destroy them. That's the uh, usual uh, translation of the word I shall utterly destroy them. To gather them, meaning like to gather them off the face of the earth. Uh, it can also mean that I will gather all of the fruit and all of the food and all of the defenses possible against the enemy, and the Jewish people will be left exposed and bare. We will see that uh, this Haftorah fits in very well in the description of all the times of terrible trouble of the Jewish people, and that the Novi may have had our, uh, our generation, the previous generation, in mind. There are no grapes on the vine. And there are no figs in the, on the fig tree. And the leaves have withered. And whatever I gave them as a gift, Yavrim has since passed away from them. There is nothing left for them. And before Shem here say as follows. Grapes are the uh, most uh, important of all of the fruits in the world because from grapes you can make something. You can not only the grapes, you make wine, 
which is the, has always been, at least in Jewish life, the most important of liquids. So grapes are representative. Sometimes you have people who are creative. It's not just the person himself. It's that this person can influence so many others. This person can benefit so many others. So they have been taken away. There are no more grapes on the vine. But at least you have people left, people in their own right, even if they're not necessarily effective with others, but they as a, as a person exist. That's te'enim ba'te'ino, the figs and the fig tree. You can't do much with figs except eat them. But the fig itself is a nourishing, sustaining food. There are no figs in the fig tree either. There are no people left. Not only that, there are people who themselves are shallow, who themselves are of little social value, who don't contribute that much to society. Uh, they're there for window dressing. They're there for show. They also are not here. The their representative of the leaf on the tree, which is... They're there for protection and for show. It cannot be eaten, but it's part of the tree also. And the leaves have also withered. Every gift that I gave them, God says, Yavrum has been taken from them by the enemy. We have this concept many times in Tanakh, and the irony of life is that a person never knows who one really toils for. I, and we don't know for whom the bell tolls. You really don't know whom you're saving your money for either. Because many times uh, it ends up in the hands of the government or the lawyers or all sorts of things that one never imagined. And it's taken. The it's taken away. All the gifts that one had that could have been used for a positive and strong uh, action, all of that has been taken away. So the people who live in the scattered cities, in the defenseless towns, so they say, well, what are we doing here? What are we staying here exposed they're convinced that if they go to the main cities where the defensive walls have been constructed, that they will be saved. Let us come and gather and go to the fortified cities, to the cities that are well protected. So here again is the, not only the imagery of refugees on the run, uh, but the, the nature of people is to try and find some sort of refuge and improvement in their situation. So the people don't realize that it's a general calamity. They feel that they'll be safe somewhere else, which is what happened in the uh, Second World War in Eastern Europe, that no one imagined the general calamity. And they thought that if they went to Vilna, they'll be safe, or to Warsaw, they'll be safe without realizing that there was no longer any safe haven. 
Moshom, we will be silent there. So silence here is uh, uh, an ironic word. They say we'll be silent, we won't be noticed. We'll be able to blend into the society and we'll be able to escape and be part of it. And the Lord says, Venid Mashom, there they will be struck dumb. They will be made silent. They'll be cut off. And the Novi continues how futile that is. Ki Hashem Elokeinu Hadimonu. The Lord our God has silenced us. So the silence is that we cannot even pray to Him. The doors are closed. Ninalu The gates of prayer are closed. Nothing could move Him anymore. So there is a stage in human existence that is beyond our understanding where the gates of prayer are closed. We find that uh, in the personal life of Moshe, our teacher, who God told him, it's in the parsha of Eschanon, so Moshe prayed unto God. He broke down the gates of prayer, and God told him, that's it, forget it. Stop it. And their bone shalom said, Rav, it's enough. I'll toast it. I don't want to hear anything more. So there is a uh, the gap between our understanding of the world and our understanding, so to speak, of the nature of the Creator and the reality of it. So the Lord has silenced us because even our traditional weapons of prayer do us no good anymore. He has given us to drink the waters, the poisonous waters. Rosh is a poison. It's polluted waters. Because our sins have overwhelmed us. We have sinned to God, and therefore this tragedy has occurred to us. Uh, Meirosh is a, an interesting uh, phenomenon because when the person, according to the Mephorshim, when the person begins to drink the water, he doesn't realize that there's anything wrong with the water. It's not till the aftertaste sets in. It's a little like uh, ShopRite Cola. That the, it's only after the aftertaste sets in do you realize that it isn't so good. And then it's too late, right? And here it's poisonous, in fact. It's corrupted. It's, uh, it cannot be, uh, cannot be consumed. So this also is an imagery of how the Jewish people were. They drank strange waters. They served strange gods. So while they were drinking it, they thought everything was fine. Now the aftertaste has caught up to them. Now they realize that they have poisoned their system and that God will not overlook it. We hoped for peace, but there's nothing good that happened. No good came upon us. We hoped for a time of healing. Marpe is like with an olive. This is spelled with a hay, but it's the same word. Marpe, we hoped for a time of refuel time of healing, and instead of that, there's terror. Also is terror. The terror, the panic. 
that is that that is the uh, the psychological fright that we know as many times as bad, if not as worse than the actual physical danger. And so in Israel, never the people died of a heart attack. One of my uh, Talmudim, five of my Talmudim were in Eretz Yisrael for, for these two weeks, and they came back. And one of them told me that uh, that uh, Friday there was a uh, thunderstorm in Tel Aviv. And the peal of the thunder, people ran into the shelter because of the fact that they thought the Patriot missiles were going. That's the terror. That's the fright. He said, other Jews stood on the street and recited the bracha out loud. There's a bracha that you make on thunder. Which is, again, the same, the reaction to it. I have, uh, you know, Saddam Hussein deserves some credit. I have, I have uh, someone in Israel that I, uh, I've dealt with for many, many years regarding... Uh, certain uh, foundations that uh, the yeshiva has been able to uh, to get some money from and we've been able to place people and uh, interesting so the person is a, an agnostic if not an atheist it comes when they come to the yeshiva to visit the yeshiva they like they don't know how to put on a yarmulke it's uh, it's against their conscience their inner conscience but, uh, you know, Rabbi Wine's a nice guy. I always treat him nicely, and I write to him. So I wrote to him uh, two days ago. I faxed him something. And the fact that I hope Emir Tzashem to be in Israel in the next uh, few days, relatively speaking, and that I have to meet with him, and I want to know if the meeting is on, etc. and if you could... Uh... So I got the fax back this morning. And he writes in the fax. He wrote it out with his own hand, not with a typewriter. He wrote it out with his own hand. And he says, When you come, God willing, to Jerusalem, you know, we'll talk about these and these matters. Right? The guy writes in Yeah, So you cannot say that he doesn't have some effect, our friend Saddam. But it's a frightening thing. That's the terror. Behold, we thought that there would be a time of healing, and instead it's a time of terror. Midon Nishma Nacharasusov. This is the description of the enemy. From dawn in the north, we hear the neighing of his horses. We hear the noise of his horses, of the uh, of the uh, cavalry charging. So when the horse charges, he breathes heavily through his nostrils. So you hear that sound. So to us, uh, where we're no longer in in horse and uh, cavalry warfare. So we would say, you hear the sonic boom of the jets, you hear the explosions, you hear the sounds of war. They say that one of the uh, most frightening things in the modern battlefield is simply the noise. The noise is of a nature that paralyzes people. So that's, we hear it coming from the north, Midon. We hear the voices, the shouts of their heroes, of their strong men. In the ancient world, even as late as the American Civil War, the rebel yell. The South, uh, when the soldiers charged, so they had a special yell. 
and in all of the uh, records of the Civil War, anyone who heard the rebel yell remembered it for the rest of their lives, both friend and foe. So that's the Mitzhalo Sabiro, the shouts of its heroes, the yell. All the earth trembles. It trembles because of the great mass of humanity that is moving. And they have come to consume the entire country, the land and everything that is in it. The city and all those who dwell within it. So the city refers to all the cities of Israel, but it refers always most specifically to the city of Yerushalayim, which is the city in the world. Now, because God says, Ki tzifonim. I am sending amongst you snakes that are vipers. That's the description of the enemy. Tzifoni is a viper. That's the most poisonous of snakes. It's a snake that even if, that if it touches you, it destroys you. There are snakes that uh, nobody likes snakes particularly, but there are snakes uh, like the garden snake or the garter snake that uh, is not necessarily dangerous at all. It may even be beneficial. Keeps uh, keeps other uh, rodents and insects out of your tomato patch. But then there are poisonous snakes, but there are poisonous snakes that a person can recover from the bite. They are not very poisonous. It's not fun, but there are poisonous snakes. And then there are snakes that are like vipers where the bite is lethal, where the venom is such that it paralyzes the human nervous system in an instant. The person can't breathe. He cannot come to himself. So that's, God says, on the snakes, the enemies that I am sending you, not nice enemies. You know, America in the middle of bombing Iraq, he says today, you know, that we're going to need $20 billion to rebuild it. Right? So, you know, that's America. Now, therefore, they already got in the budget. They're going to rebuild it. But uh, most uh, our enemies are Nechoshim Tsifonim. They are vipers. Asher Ein Lohem Lochash. So Ein Lohem Lochash has a double meaning. One meaning is that they have no venom. They have no venom, meaning uh, that they're so poisonous that you don't need any venom, right? They're just the teeth, the fangs alone kill. They don't have to inject you with a tremendous amount of venom. They are so lethal. Others learn they make no noise they are so stealthily careful to surprise you that they make no noise you don't even realize that the snake is upon you others say there is no antidote to their bite because uh, many snake bites have an antidote and if a person injects himself with the antidote so he's able to survive, this is one that has no antidote. It has, there's no way to get rid of this bite. So all three pshotim mean the same, that you're talking here about a snake for which there is no defense. And they shall certainly bite you. 
don't think that you will escape. So we have here, uh, as I mentioned, you know, a ferocity of vision. And you'll see that the Novi doesn't even ask the Jewish people to do tshuva. He doesn't say pray to God because he says it's useless. You know, you just, you got to take it. There's nothing there. It's irreversible. It's of no use. Mavligisi ale yogon. I strengthen myself. Mavligisi means I strengthen myself in my grief, in my sorrow, the Novi says. Olai libi davoi. Inside me, my heart is sad and broken. Why? Because the Novi's been saying this for 30 years. He said, this is what's going to happen. Now he sees that everything he said comes true. So there are people in the world, Nevech, that like to say, I told you so, who have a perverse pleasure over the fact that they are right. I see they always write for the Wall Street Journal. Right? I told you so. Nobody likes to hear, I told you so. Not in a family, not in a school, not in the community, not in the world. It doesn't accomplish anything. But here the Novi is genuinely heartbroken that his words have come true. Don't forget the Novi was put in jail for saying these things. He was in the dungeon. He was arrested a number of times. He was held up to ridicule. The kings of Judah said that he's a troublemaker. He's not telling the truth. The truth is that nothing's going to happen. And now he is vindicated beyond any imagination. So the Novi uh, humanly uh, would be allowed a moment, a glimpse of uh, self-satisfaction. I told you so. You didn't listen to me? Look what happened. But that's not the Novi Yermio. The Novi is heartbroken. I hear the voice, the shouts of the daughter of my people, meaning of my people, my daughter. She shouts from a far land. He sees them in the exile already. Jews scattered all over the world, far from their homes. Hashem ein is God no longer in Zion? There are no Jews there. The temple is destroyed. There's no Jewish settlement. We, uh, who in our time uh, have never had to imagine, I always feel that when I speak in the yeshiva to the boys, so in the yeshiva there is nobody there almost that, uh, uh, that remembers any time when the Jewish people didn't own Jerusalem and didn't have the Western Wall, and uh, you know, to them, it's uh, you know, that's the way it's supposed to be. And there's no amongst us. There was always the, in our lifetime a great Jewish settlement in the land of Israel, but it was not always like that. In fact, for most of the time, it was not like that at all. We take it for granted take the state of Israel for granted. We take everything for granted. It's supposed to be that way. And we even have complaints that it's not the way we like it. I remember when I was a uh, 
child growing up in my parents' home in Chicago, so uh, we used to get letters from Palestine, from my father's relatives, from my relatives. So the, the British, who always were very even-handed in, in these matters, so the stamp of Palestine had the Mosque of Omar on it. That was the stamp of Palestine. And uh, I remember my father used to peel off the stamp. He used to keep the stamps. So I once asked him, what do we need the stamps for? You know, the stamp, you can't use them here. <clears throat> so he said the stamp is printed in Hebrew. It's a Hebrew stamp. It says on it, it said Palestine in Hebrew. It said in Arabic and in English and in Hebrew. So the Eastern European Jews, if you saw a postage stamp printed in Hebrew, so that was, you know, that meant something. Different world, different understanding. So the, the God is not in Zion, right? The Jewish people are not there. Just as an aside, Israel has probably the most beautiful postage stamps in the world. They put out such a beauty. It was the 900th. Your side of Rashi. So they put out a stamp for Rashi and Rashi letters. It was just just beautiful, that stamp I have. Just beautiful. I mean, like the right thing. Right thing to do. I commented on the yeshiva in that too, that Greece never put out a stamp of Alexander the Great yet. Italy didn't put out a stamp of Julius Caesar. Right? They're all gone, right? He put out a stamp in Rashi Ksav, everybody caught it, you know? Everybody got, understood immediately the stamp. They didn't use the regular Hebrew, they used the Rashi Hebrew to put it out. So that's, uh, you know, that's the Jewish people. Imauka Ingba, the king is not there, the, the royal palace is not inhabited. Where is God? How could such a thing happen? So God answers, Madua hi chisuni bifsileyem, b'havle nechor. Wow, how about them? Why did they anger me for so many centuries with their idols? B'havle nechor, with the vanities of the strangers. How did, why did they do that, right? Now they ask, what happened to God? God asks, what happened to you? Now, this is the ongoing conversation, which is the story of the exile of the Jewish people. We and God never seem to get the story straight. How did it happen? Ovar Kotsir Kolokoyitz, the harvest season has passed. Kayitz, the summer is gone. People thought that somehow we would be saved in the passage of time. Some miracle would come and stop the Babylonian army. A miracle would occur. It's interesting how all the contests remain the contests of the Bible, right? Babylonia, right? So we think Babylonia, Babylonia. Here it is, Babylonia. The old contests are all here. You know, Saddam Hussein uh, uh, named his nuclear reactor Tammuz 17 after the 17th day of Tammuz when the Babylonians cracked the walls of Jerusalem. He knows what he wants to do. He's not without... Uh, the only thing is he doesn't know that the Babylonians were on the 10th day of Tammuz and the 17th day of Tammuz were the Romans. 
he doesn't know the Rashi, right? That he didn't figure out. But, but his message is clear, right? So the Babylonians are back. We thought we would be saved. We have not been saved. We have not been saved. This is a reference, a veiled reference to the fact that the Jews counted on the Egyptians to come to their aid. The Jews had an alliance with Egypt, and that was what they relied upon. The Novi said, rely upon God, and they relied upon the Egyptians, and the Egyptians never came. Al-Shever Basami Hoshborti. Hoshborti means, I am broken over the fact that my people have been broken. The disaster of my people is my disaster. Tanovi takes it personally. Again, that's uh, a trait of identity with the Jewish people, to be able to identify with the Jewish people. I always remember that as a little boy, my Zayda never allowed the house to be painted. My, my, my aunt had arranged that the house should be painted for Pesach. 1943, and the Jew came to paint the house for Pesach, a paint now, and she evidently had done it without my grandfather's permission, and when in, she, uh, my grandfather lived with them after my grandmother died, she lived with my aunt and uncle, so when he came home uh, from shul, I happened to be there with my mother. So the painter came in and started setting everything up, and he looked around, and he sees the painter is there. So he asked him, what's he doing there? So he said, my aunt, uh, you know, my aunt had ordered it. So he said, well, there must be a mistake. And he went in the kitchen. He told my aunt, he said, Jews are burning in the ovens. We're not going to paint the house for Pesach. And then he went and he paid the painter the whole amount of money because he knew the Jew needed the money for Pesach. So he took care of both things. I remember that like today. He gave him the money, and they didn't paint the house. He's not going to paint the house. The Jewish people are in trouble. He's not going to paint the house. But that's an, you know, a, a feeling of identity. I don't, you know, you can't criticize Jews, but it's, you know, sometimes things are hard to look at, hard to see, you know what I mean? how people don't feel. People don't are not sensitive to what's happening. They're only they're worried about the, their petty things. The Novi says, I am broken by the disaster of my people. Kodarti, I have become blackened. My face is black. Shama hechizikosni. Desolation holds me in its grasp. I am desolate. I have nowhere to go in the world. Famous Pesach here, Chav Beis. Hatsori ain begilad. Is there no balm in Gilad? Is there no medicine to be found? Imrofe ain shom. Is there no doctor for us? Is there no healer that can help us? Madualo also aruchas basami. Why do my people find no solace? Why do they have no healing? Why is my blow such a blow that it cannot be healed? Now this is the in the King James Version and the translation of the Bible. Now this is the famous uh, phrase, uh, "Baum in Gilead." Is there no baum in Gilead? 
which in the modern English they already translate, you know, there are no Tylenol in the medicine chest. And the modern one is Azeon Tam, right? It's Mamish without any sense. The, the King James Version is majesty. But, uh, you know, nobody likes 16th century English today. The, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? So the new one says, the Lord tends my sheep, I lack nothing. But the only thing you lack is sensitivity. So this is the famous phrase, Baum from Gilead. Me yitain roshimayim. Alavai, would that my head would be a source of water that I could always weep. There are so many tears to be shed, and I don't have any more tears than Ovi says. I'm exhausted of tears. Aini Makordima, my eye to be the source of tears. If that would be Voevke Yomam Valaila, I would weep day and night. I would weep without interruption as Chalale Basami over the corpses of my people, over the death that has overcome my people. But the Navi says, I have no more tears. I'm all cried out. I've wept so much that there's nothing left. So I have nothing more to say. Alavai said, I could be like in the desert, the inn that's in the middle of the desert. In the desert, uh, there were inns that were located at oases in the desert. So even though everything around is pure desolation, everything around is uh, parched land and drought and thirst, but at the inn, there is some solace. At the inn, there is comfort. So the Novi says, I'll abide that I would be like that, right? In the midst of this desert of trouble, if I could find a place where I can find some comfort. If I found them, I would forsake my people. What do I need the trouble? But he says there's such a strong idea that there's no place in the world for a Jew to escape. And even if he wants to escape. Even if he feels justified in escaping, that God won't let him escape. I have nowhere to run. I'll go away from them because they're the ones that did it. They are all adulterers, meaning they're all unfaithful. So the idea of adultery here is not only the fact that they were sexually immoral and that that was the tenor of the society as it unfortunately was, but the forsaking of God and of the Jewish religion is seen as being adultery because the relationship between God and Israel is the relationship of marriage. It is not to be seen as uh, it, it's described in Shirashirim in that fashion that God, so to speak, is the, the man and the Jewish people are the women in the matter. And that it's a story of love. It's a story of a relationship. It's a story of loyalty one to another. So if a person is disloyal, so you just unfaithful, it's not victimless crime, which is a great phrase invented in Western society. Victimless crime, right? It's not a crime. 
that it is a crime because it's not just what the person does, it's what that act does to the other person. The destruction that is caused to the other person by the infidelity. So the, the Novi says, the relationship to God is like that. They're unfaithful to the Rabbonishalolam. They're a convention of traitors. A convocation of traitors. Because again, the word here that's used is treachery. They're disloyal. They're guilty of treason. The, the imagery here is that a person's tongue is like a bow and is like a bow, and the words that emanate from that tongue, that's the arrow. So Vayadrichu Eslishonom Kashtom Sheker means they have stepped on the bow. If you want to shoot a long way, so in the ancient world the great archers would lie on their back and they would push the bow taut with their feet because that was they were able to get a much greater tension than they were with their arms alone. And that was like the long distance artillery. So that's Vayadrichu, from the word Dorach, to step. They stepped on their bows, but their arrow was lies. Their arrow was falsehoods, Sheker. That became the way of life. The way of life became one of lies, to lie to each other, to lie to oneself. That's what Chazal say, that the worst of all punishments of a liar is that eventually he only lies to himself. He himself believes the lies. And they attempted to become giborim, heroes, strong men, powerful, but without faith. A person without faith cannot be strong. Or rather, the strength cannot be productive. Nothing good will come of it. This is the idea of Avera Goreres Avera. One sin drags you down to another one. Just as Mitzvah Goreres Mitzvah. If you do good things, so you end up doing a lot of good things. You do bad things, so then you end up with a whole peckle of Averas, right? I always say that you come to shul in the morning, right? So you daven betzibur, you put money in the tzedakah box, you hear a word of Torah, you say tilim, you go, before you know you got a package, right? You got something out of it. You go other places, so you know, it's not just the one Aveira, right? There's 15 Aveiras that come from it. Eat popcorn without a yarmulke. A lot of things happen before you know it. That's miro'o el ro'o yotso. They went from one evil to another evil. They didn't even realize what happened to them. The osi lo yodo nu mashem. Now this is a phrase that we'll see at the end of the Haftorah. They didn't know me. What does it mean, they didn't know me? They haven't got a clue that I want from them. That's the tragedy. You don't know what he wants. You don't understand what God wants from you. And that's not as easy as people think. People think, you know, if, if they're observant, if 
they're this, they're that, so then, you know, they're doing it. The Ramban says his famous statement, Novel Torah. There's a, a person who is a novel who is obnoxious, and he does everything that's written in the Torah. He doesn't understand what's going on. He doesn't understand what God wants. He misses it. He misses the whole point. And that's a, uh, and the Novi especially here concentrates on human relationships one with another. On the Bein Odom Lachavero part of the Torah. Because the Bein Odom Lachavero part of the Torah is what has done us in over all the centuries. Somehow with God we can settle. Gitzach right? Yom Kippur, you can straighten a lot of things out with the Rebbein Shalev. But a society of cruelty, a society of evil, a society of lies and infidelity can't straighten that out. They didn't know me. They don't know what I want. They don't understand. Because we'll see at the end of the Haftarah that all he says that the tremendous person is Haskel Viadoosi, the one that knows me. The one that that intuitively knows what's supposed to happen correctly. I always tell over the story from the Chafetz Chaim that I heard here from, there was a, in our community, there was a, a man that was a nephew to the Chafetz Chaim who lived a very long life. He died, he was in his 90s. And he came one evening, he, went, he was not a religious Jew. And he came one evening to speak to us. We had a social evening. I don't know if you remember by... Uh, Stern, I think. And uh, he was telling stories. So he was, uh, he was raised uh, in an assimilated home in St. Petersburg in Russia. This is the Chofetz Chaim's family. He was raised in an assimilated home in St. Petersburg. And he uh, received a, uh, a, a private education of the time. He was taking French lessons and music lessons. And, you know, he didn't know anything about being a Jew, practically. And then a terrible tragedy happened. There was a cholera epidemic, and both of his parents died. And he was left alone, and there was no relatives. So somebody in St. Petersburg knew that the Chofetz Chaim was a relative. So they took this kid from St. Petersburg, and they brought him to Rodden, which is like itself a culture shock. And they brought him from this home, from this assimilated salon home in St. Petersburg, to the Chofetz Chaim's uh, wooden uh, little hovel in Rod. So he said, so the Chofetz Chaim took care of him. The Chofetz Chaim himself took care of him. So the Chofetz Chaim went and hired a French teacher to teach, to continue the kid with French lessons. And he got a hold of a music teacher to continue the kid with music lessons. So, listen to the story. So the people in Raden were up in arms. The Chofetz Chaim is not from. They're teaching French in the Chofetz Chaim's house. It's not from. So they came to the Chofetz Chaim to tell him that. So I want you to understand, you know, the world never changes. The characters change, but the world doesn't change. So they came to him, they told him, Rebbe, it's past it. It's not nice in the house of the Chofetz Chaim in Raden, you know, that a boy should come in and teach French to a Jewish boy, French language. So the Chofetz Chaim answered them. 
He said, Vos hartaich e malochim shmeichlin in himmel. He said, why do you, what's your problem if the angels in heaven are smiling? Ayosin. Kids an orphan. Comes to say, well, what, I mean, what's your problem here? And Chavz Chaim was on a different wavelength. He had an intuition. What would God have done in such a situation? That's what he said. The malachim are smiling. That means that God approves of it. What would, what would Rabbeinu Shalem have done? That's what he tried all of his life to try and guess what would God do in the situation. That's really our task. Our task in being human is how would God react? Because I want to imitate him. I am his creature. I'd like to be like him. Now that's what the Navi says. We all see lo yodot. And you have a clue to me. That's the tragedy. That's the destruction. So everything else follows. Once you don't, you know, once you look. Once you lost it on the radar screen, right, so then it doesn't make any difference where you're going. The good, good news, bad news joke, right? The pilot gets on the intercom and he says, I have good news and bad news. Good news, he says, we're 10 minutes ahead of schedule. Bad news is that we're lost. <laughs> That's really a very good description of our world, of our society. We're ahead of schedule, but we're, we have no idea where we're going. Every man has to guard himself against his friend. The other guy's out to cheat me. I have to guard myself. I can't take anybody at his word. Terrible situation, right? But we are aware of it, right? It's not, not far different from our situation. Person's word. Every man has to guard himself from his friend. And you cannot trust your brother. Right? Business is business. Money is money. Money destroys families. Not a blessing. My wife is young, but I feel, you know, she hasn't got a gray hair in her shape. <laughs> Now, I'm all white, but I get, you know, the $10 million offer from Ed McMahon in the mail. I don't even open it. Right in the garbage. I don't want it. I really don't want it. I'm past already. So there was a time, you know, I talked myself in the HRA, you know, I'd make $10 million. I'd give $9 million to the yeshiva. I get this, that, and today it's right in the garbage. Don't even want it anymore can't bring me any good. You cannot trust your own brother. What a play on words. Every brother is a cheater. He will cheat you. Uh, here he uh, makes reference to Novi Taisov's Taina against Yaakov, for which we are still paying. Yaakov was 100% right and legal, but Ace felt that he was cheated. He said, Is it for nothing that he's called Yaakov? He's cheated me twice. Yaakov means to cheat. And all my friends, everyone who is a friend, goes and slanders me. Rochil Yaloch bears tales. Can't be trusted. 
we are going to divide this after in two because one cannot take it in one. The ish bireihu yehoselu. Each man makes fun, mocks, but it means to cheat. When you cheat somebody, you mock him. An idiot. You know, he lets himself be cheated. One of my, I, I always, um, almost make a vow. I don't, don't do it, but I almost make a vow to myself that I'm never going to go to a car dealer to buy a car. Because whenever I buy a car, no matter what, I walk out and I feel I was cheated. No matter what price, because the, it's just, just the way it works. Yeah, he's letting me have it. Oh, this extra and this and this, and he's going to give me this, and he's going to give me that. No, I walk out. I'm, I can, you know, I feel like like vomiting. That's your hoselu. They make fun of you. They've mocked you. They've mocked your integrity. The MS Loyadaberu. And they cannot speak truthfully. There are no words of truth that they can say. They have trained their tongues to speak falsely, that they cannot even tell the truth when it is in their best interest to tell the truth. Sometimes yes, we call that a pathological liar, but the Novi doesn't give in to uh, psychological excuses. They have trained themselves. Their tongue is trained that it doesn't say the truth. It's against the law to tell the truth. Look at the, uh, the, in the United States, we call the, you know, truth in lending, truth in advertising bills. You know, they're telling you in advance that it's a lie. Everything it says on the first side of the page is a lie because you've got to turn around and see all the things they have to print in little print in fading ink on the second part of the page to tell you that everything was on the first part of the page isn't true. They're not responsible for it, you know. Like if you want a super saver, you know, if you go Saturday night with your mother-in-law at 11.30 at night with, a, with one bag, right, you know, they got three seats for you like that. It's wrong. It's wrong. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to do it. You're not allowed to say $99 to Miami and you only, in, in little prints, you have six seats like that. And every the other regular price is $400. You're not allowed to do that. But we expect it. We expect it. We're convinced that that's the way it's supposed to be. And if you get away with it, then you're a good businessman. That We convince ourselves of that. That's a terrible thing. That's lindu l'shonam daber sheker. To train yourself to speak falsehoods. So to train yourself in a whole society to do that. We pay a big price for that. I knew Russia Yeshiva that they would look over the uh, the uh, brochures of the Yeshiva. I remember in the Chicago Yeshiva one, we had to have a catalog printed. We were going to get credits from the University of Agansa Mysa. So they had to they printed a catalog. So in the catalog, the uh, public relations man that printed it. So then we in our yeshiva, Kanaino Hard End, there was like 330 boys in the base manager. We had a big yeshiva. That's 35, 38 boys in every year. So he wrote close to 500 students. That's, uh, you know, it's close. 330 is closer to 500 than to zero. Not bad. I remember they, Rabbi Fassman and the other ones, they didn't let it be printed. They pulled it. 
Yeshiva Ki Dance say? You say over 300. You want to say something. Can't say close to 500. Not true. It stands against everything that the yeshiva is supposed to be. So that's the idea of Limdu Lishonam Daber Sheker. Have Nilu. Have to do things crooked. Nilu. They worked hard at it. It's just that you have to work hard to be a cheater. You have to many times work harder to be a cheater than to do it straight. In the uh, early history of the yeshiva, we caught uh, three young men who had cheated on an exam. And, we, well, and they had cheated on an exam. I mean, how they did it, you know, they, they were able to get a hold of somebody's key and make a copy of the key, and they came in like 2 in the morning, and they figured out the combination to the safe, and they got it right. So I threw the three guys out of the yeshiva. If you can, you can get a 30 in the yeshiva, and we'll keep you. Well, in fact, once you're in, you're in. But if you cheat, you're out immediately. All three of them have remained our friends still today. It was the best thing that ever happened to them. All three of them say that. In fact, we helped place them, etc. But they were out. So I said to them, look at the effort that you put into this. You know, if you would have put the effort into study, you would have got an A. This thing took you 12 hours to put together, and you had to stay up nights and go find key. I'm what are you, crazy? Look at all the work you put into it. Why didn't you put the way you to study the three hours, right? You get the A. It wasn't such a hard test. So that's what the Novi says. Have nilu. They worked hard to be that perverse, to do it crooked. doesn't come easy. Crime, you know, I, I think the, uh, the guys that run the mafia could probably run, uh, you know, American Airlines all. Maybe they do. I mean, they can, uh, they're, they're putting a good hard day's work. All the schemes to beat the government, all the nefarious things that exist in the world. That's, uh, there's plenty of hard work. There's plenty of kishrin. There's plenty of genius in it. The, uh, f- the first half of Rabbi Beryl Wine's lecture on the topic of the uh, Haftorah of Tishabov. We'll get to more of it as part two will be coming up here at JMNAM. It's Tuesday. Thanks for listening to America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com on the NachumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. And we have our news from Israel coming up. Um, we'll do our news from Israel and then continue with more of Rabbi Wine on the subject of the Haftorah of Tishabov. 74 degrees, afternoon thunderstorms, a high of 83. 82 right now in Yerushalayim, 55 up in Guilford, New York. Our friends at Camp Misora, 74 here in New York City on a Tuesday at JM in the AM. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Tuesday is next. We say Boker Tov from JMM. Galitzal in Yerushalayim, Shah Shtaim, Shalom Rav, Khan Ran Yavnai, Imashe Koreachav. החשד לשחיתות בעיריית ירושלים. גורמים בעירייה אומרים לכתבנו יובל סגב כי הם מאמינים שיהיו מעצרים נוספים. 
גורמים בעיריית ירושלים טוענים כי לא ייתכן שהעבירות הרבות שבוצעו על פי החשד במשך השנים בוצעו על ידי שלושת העצורים בלבד. מהיכרותם של אותם גורמים עם המבנה הארגוני בעירייה ועם עבודת הוועדות השונות, החשודים נזקקו ככל הנראה לשיתוף פעולה של עובדים אחרים על מנת להוציא לפועל את אותם מהלכים, ביניהם ביטול דוחות וסיוע בקידום מיזמי נדל"ן. אותן עבירות נחקרות כעבירות שוחד והפרת אמונים, ובית המשפט צפוי לדון בהן בשעה הקרובה. חבר הכנסת דוד ביטן מהליכוד מכחיש בתוקף כי יש מגעים בין חברי מפלגתו לבין כחול לבן וכי הם מתכוונים או מתכוננים לתרחיש שבו נתניהו לא יכהן כראש ממשלה. בעצם הטענה שלהם שיש חברי ליכוד שמדברים איתם. אז אני אומר לך שזה לא נכון, זה שקר. בדקת את זה? שקר, אני צריך לבדוק. הם אומרים דברי שקר ובלע. אם הם רוצים להגיד להוכיח, שיגידו מי מדבר איתם ועל מה מדברים איתם. אי אפשר סתם לומר דברים. מכחול לבן נמסר בתגובה לדברי דוד ביטן, גם חבר הכנסת ביטן יודע שבליכוד נערכים ליום שאחרי נתניהו את המגעים והשיחות שמתנהלות עם גורמים בליכוד, שום מסמך או עצומה של נתניהו לא יעצרו. משטרת ישראל הודיעה כי התגבשה תשתית ראייתית כנגד סגן שר הבריאות יעקב ליצמן. ליצמן חשוד בעבירות של מרמה והפרת אמונים, הצעת שוחד והדחה בעדות. כתבתנו הדה שטייף. המשטרה טוענת כי יש ראיות להעמיד לדין את סגן שר הבריאות בשלוש פרשות שונות. האחת, פרשת מלכה לייסר, החשודה בפגיעה מינית בתלמידותיה באוסטרליה ומבוקשת על ידי אוסטרליה. השנייה, בהתערבות מסכנת חיים בפרשת עסק לממכר מזון, שליצמן פעל על פי החשד שלא ייסגר. והשלישית, התערבות בשחרור אסירים בהם פדופילים, פרשה עליה חל חוק ההתיישנות. תיק החקירה הועבר לפרקליטות להחלטה. ומפלגת ש"ס פרסמה הודעת תמיכה בליצמן. ש"ס מחזקת את ידיו של סגן שר הבריאות, הרב יעקב ליצמן, שליח ציבור נאמן, העוסק בצורכי ציבור באמונה עשרות שנים, ודלתו פתוחה לכל פונה. אנו בטוחים כי חפותו תוכח והצדק יצא לאור במהרה. בית משפט השלום בפתח תקווה גזר עונשים קלים על מנהל בית האבות נאות השרון בעיר ומטפל סיעודי במקום שהורשעו במעורבות במותה של מרים פזה, זיכרונה לברכה. כתבתנו ליה ספילקין. חודשיים עבודות שירות נגזרו על המטפל הסיעודי ושלוש מאות שעות שירות לתועלת הציבור נגזרו על מנהל בית האבות שבו שהתה המנוחה בנוסף לקנס בסך שישים וחמישה אלף שקלים. המקרה אירע ב-2013 כשהקשישה נכוותה כוויות קשות במקלחת לאחר שהושארה שם ללא השגחה ונפטרה מפצעיה. השניים הורשעו במסגרת הסדר טיעון. מוניות השירות בתל אביב יפעלו מבעוד כשבועיים במתכונת חדשה, מדווח כתבנו לעניינך תחבורה, אליאב בטיטו. הנוסעים במוניות השירות יוכלו לשלם במזומן, באשראי או באמצעות הרב-קו, וייהנו מההנחה הניתנת כיום למחזיקי הכרטיס באוטובוסים וברכבת. כרטיס הנסיעה יעלה 6 שקלים ו-80 אגורות, ולנוסעים שישלמו באמצעות הרב-קו יתאפשר מעבר לאוטובוסים במשך 90 דקות. התוכנית החדשה תצא לדרך בתל אביב, כאשר בשלב הראשון תכלול שלושה קווי נסיעה, ובהמשך תתרחב. מזג האוויר מחר ללא שינוי ניכר בטמפרטורות. אלה החדשות שעורכת תום ויינטרבלוק. On the subject of the Haftorah of Tisha B'Av, part number two is next. Information about Rabbi Wine's lectures, 1-800-499-WEIN, 1-800-499-WEIN, or RabbiWine.com, RabbiWEIN.com. Here he is at JM in the AM. The Novi says uh, 
Mi'itneini ba'midbor melon orchim. Mi'itneini means alavai, would that God would place me in the desert and I would be like an oasis. Malone Orphim is an inn, an oasis. The idea of a desert, it's one of the great ideas that we have uh, throughout the Tanakh. A desert, me, it's, a, it's a feeling that all of us have, that you know, I would have a uh, terrific uh, business if I wouldn't have workers, if I could do it all myself or it would be a terrific society, a terrific school, or what, whatever, whatever organization we want to think of, uh, it's complicated by the fact that it's not a desert. It's complicated by the fact that there's a society that we have to contend with, and in that society are people and events uh, that are not necessarily uh, to our liking, and who uh, are a deterrent, they're a drag. They make things worse. So the Novi says, Alavai, that I could escape from the Jewish people and I could go out to the desert. In the desert, I would be like our father Abraham, who uh, at the beginning of time uh, ran this great inn, Malone Orchim. Guests came and he could do whatever he wanted. When you have a Jewish people, when you have the whole people together, so then... Uh, there's baggage. Uh, there are problems. It's not that simple. It's not that easy. The Ezvoes Ami, I will forsake my people. The Elchomeitom, and I will go away from them. Kikulomenoafim, all of them are immoral, unfaithful. That's the word menoafim, that's the word for adulteress. But it means not only adulterous in the physical sense, it, it has many connotations here, but basically it's the unfaithfulness to God, the unfaithfulness to, uh, to tradition, and it's also the sexual immorality which was rampant. And it also was a statement that kulam menafim, everybody, he doesn't mean everybody, but he means it was tolerated. It's accepted in society. It is not something that is considered reprehensible. It's taken for granted. It's allowed. And therefore, that's why it says, they are all adulterers, because the ones who tolerate it eventually are as guilty in society as the ones that participate because without the societal approval, it could not reach the levels that it did. Atzeres bogdim. Atzeres means a gathering, a group of people who are traitors, who are treacherous. So traitors means traitors to their spouses, uh, traitors to society, traitors again to the ideals, uh, ideas and ideals of the Jewish people. So this we discussed before, that they have trained their tongues uh, to be like a bow that shoots arrows of lies. They have developed that 
they, uh, that that's accepted. A little like the uh, commercial society of the world that we live in, of uh, false advertising and false representations. So we become immune to falsehood because we accept, we accept it and we expect it and it's part of us. And true people, true people, faithful people, they did not do well in this world, the Navi says. They're not popular. They're not strong. They're not the heroes. But those who are false, they are the ones who are heroes. I think one of the uh, statements regarding our society generally is the lack of true heroes. Most heroes in American society are uh, sports figures or other such people who uh, are uh, people who have made a great deal of money and not necessarily in a, uh, in a legitimate fashion, in a moral fashion. They're the heroes of society. And uh, part of the undoing, for instance, of uh, the, uh, the, uh, the poorer class in the United States and of the minorities, etc., is that their heroes are false heroes. They're not realistic. You have uh, 400 possible positions to be a ball player in the National Basketball Association, and you have 10 million uh, children playing in the schoolyards for the 400 positions not realistic. The, uh, the fact that righteous, honest, good people not only are not held in esteem, but they are ridiculed. Uh, they are held to be uh, wildly impractical people, people who have nothing to teach us. So that's what happened to the Jewish people also. For a long time in Jewish life, in the exile, the Jewish people, even though they may not have lived up to their ideals, but they all, their heroes were clear to them. In our time, that has again become blurred in a great section of the Jewish people. Who would we really like to be? So that's the idea here. Lola Amuno Govrubaretz. Kime Ro'o El Ro'o Yotso'u. From one evil, they stagger to the next evil. Uh, the uh, imagery here is of a drunk going from bar to bar. Once having embarked upon this road, so from one evil to the next evil they went. And the, uh, originally they could not have imagined themselves uh, at their final station. Couldn't imagine what they would look like at the end. But when you go from one evil to the next evil, so eventually you arrive at the final evil, the ultimate evil. The Osi Lo Yado Numashem. This we will see later at the conclusion of the, uh, the Novi's words that the Novi considers knowledge of what God says, of what God wants, to be of uh, primary importance. To know what God wants. And there are many people who uh, 
who are very far off the mark. And that's the idea that the Ramban says in Chumash that a person can be a novel virshus ha-Torah. A person can be observant, he can be within the parameters of Torah, and yet he is an obscene, obnoxious, evil person because he hasn't got any identification with what God really wants. Every man has to guard himself against his friend. No one can trust anyone. And no one can trust the brother. Because every brother is a cheater. Okov Yaakov cheats. It's expected. It's part of the, again, the psyche of the relationship. It's part of the society. The Cholreya and every friend, Rochil Yahalov, walks around and spreads slander about you, attempts to undermine you, attempts to destroy you. Each man, again, Yehoselu, he cheats. Yaselu means uh, he makes fun of the other person. He cheats him. Uh, he takes advantage of him. He exposes him as a fool, as naive. And they refuse to speak the truth. They again have trained their tongues to speak evil, to speak falsely. They've trained themselves. Ha'ave milu. And they wanted to go crooked. They attempted. They worked hard at it. So again, the Novi here brings out the fact that many times the effort and the uh, creativity and the sacrifice required to do something wrong is as great, if not greater, as it would be to do it right. But people want to do things wrong. Somehow they find that to be uh, much more satisfying. There was an incident not long ago, a number of years ago, that uh, students stole uh, regents' exams and passed them out, etc. So the effort that went into it if they would have sat down and studied for the two hours or three hours, you didn't have to do that. This took days of planning, risks, expenses, everything. But everybody felt that the investment was worth it. Whereas uh, to do it the straight way, so to speak, to spend the time and the effort and the creativity and study so that uh, that's not acceptable. That's not that's not the way to do things. That's what it, that's what the Novi means. Have nilu. They worked hard to obtain this level of perverseness. They worked hard to make it crooked. It was a uh, a matter that required effort, and they followed through with it. So the, he describes that the Jewish people sank 
into a dishonest society because they sat amongst dishonesty for so long that they just simply, it's like you sit in, uh, in garbage, so after a while you smell. So they sat in a society that was so bad that that eventually they did, could not know me. They refused to know me because of their own trickeries, because of their own perverseness, because they trained themselves in that society. We see in our society also it's very hard to crawl out of a, uh, of a situation that becomes, that becomes your normalcy, a whole spate of... Uh, books and uh, movies and plays about people who are involved in the mafia or involved in crime generally and they want to get away from it and they can never get out because it has become so all-encompassing that there's no way to break the ties and that's the really the greek tragedy of life is that we are bound by bonds that we have ourselves constructed and we've ourselves done all of these things. So since they were willing to dwell in a society of iniquity, so therefore their iniquity caused them that they no longer know me. How can they have any relationship to me if they're determined to live in such a society? This uh, uh, strong and painful indictment of the Jewish people, of their behavior, uh, is reflected uh, in all the books of Musser and in all the works that we read throughout the exile of the Jewish people. That God uh, is far from us because we have moved so far from him. You don't, you can't expect to, uh, to find honesty in a dishonest society. You're looking in the wrong place. Therefore the Lord God says, I am going to take the Jewish people. Tzorfum is I'm going to refine them. I'm going to anneal them in the fire. The word tzoref is to burn off the dross. When you want to have pure silver, pure gold, to the extent that you can have it, uh, so you have to burn off the alloy, you have to burn off the, uh, the other metals that are contained therein. That's Tzorfam. I'm going to put them through the test of fire, Uvechantim, and they will be tested. A long test for the Jewish people, thousands of years. It's a, a difficult exam. What else can I do, God says? I don't have no choice. Well, how else can I do it? God, so to speak, appeals to the Jewish people. Tell me how else to do it. I tried it so many different ways. I tried it to be, to be good. I tried it with Nevi'im. I tried it with the What else can I do? What gains your attention? We see that, uh, God forbid, but we see that troubles always gain the attention of people. So that's what the Novi says. In God's name, what else can I do regarding my people? How else can I treat them? Their tongue is a sharpened arrow. Their tongue 
can kill. You know the famous uh, expression that children say that sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. But we know that that is not true. We know that words are far more lethal than even sticks and stones. Great damage can be done in life by words. So the Novi says, their tongue has become a lethal arrow, an arrow that kills, shochet, that shechts, that kills, that slaughters. Mirmo diber. They speak only dishonest words. Shalom Esra'elu Yadaber, he speaks to his friend words of peace, good words, nice words. Uvekirbo Yosin Orbo, and in his heart he is planning the ambush that will destroy his friend. Our rabbis always said that the heart of a person has to somehow be uh, in line with what he says. A rabbi say, Rashi quotes it, that one of the compliments regarding the brothers of Joseph, it says, They could not speak words of peace with him. So our rabbis say, even though that's a negative thing, there's a positive quality to it. They were not hypocritical. They hated him, so they didn't, they didn't tell him, uh, you're a great guy. And in their hearts did they hate him. Their mouth and their hearts were at least the same. So you knew where you stood. So uh, hypocrisy here of talking words of peace while preparing for war, of, of talking friendship and uh, planning the ambush, uh, that is uh, that deceit is the ultimate immorality. So God says, on them, this is a rhetorical question, to a people like this, shall I not come and punish them? Shall I not demand an accounting for their behavior? In a people, a nation such as this, shall not my soul find revenge for their behavior, for their attitudes. So again, the, what makes all of this uh, stronger, uh, worse, uh, much more difficult, is the fact that uh, God gave the Jewish people the Torah. And uh, God expects, and even today, he expects a higher standard of behavior from us. It's interesting that even in the world, the world also expects a higher standard of behavior from us. And that's part of the uh, disproportionate double standard which is applied to the state of Israel. Uh, someone phrased it very well that the, uh, the non-Jewish world expects the Jews to be the true Christians. But the world does expect it of us. The world does expect a higher standard. And we give them a higher standard. We are willing to do so. We do live to a higher standard. But God, in his measurement of us, in his demands upon us, so then if we don't live up to it, so then uh, God's anger is kindled against the Jewish people.
JM in the AM, Tuesday morning broadcast with a barrel wine and a uh, very interesting lecture entitled The Haftorah of Tishabov. It's our nine days format here at JM in the AM, and I welcome you to a Tuesday, August the 6th, the fifth day of Menachem Av. And thanks so much for joining us. 74 degrees, afternoon thunderstorms, and a high of 83. We're here in New York City. Uh, our nine days format continues all through this week. Um, Sunday, of course, a very special Tishabov program coming at you from us here at the Nahum Siegel Network. We'll explain that in a minute. And then next week, one of the most sought-after broadcasts <laughs> of the uh, entire year. And that is uh, when we uh, when we travel to Israel on the flight with Nefesh Benefesh and accompany uh, hundreds of Olim on their journey to the Holy Land. And it's a unique and incredible opportunity. We are very much looking forward to it. And um, that broadcast you will hear next week on Wednesday morning. In other words, Monday and then Tuesday, we're here in our New York City studios. Wednesday, you'll hear the uh, the journey with Nefesh Benefesh. And then Thursday, if everything works out, please God, back in this studio relatively on time for a uh, broadcast on the 15th of, uh, of August, that Thursday morning. That's the plan. And then we get set for Tuba'av and for uh, Shabbos Nachamu. So that's uh, already we are thinking about next week, and for good reason. It's going to be a, a yet another amazing radio adventure, and I'm glad that you'll be on the uh, other end of it. Um, if you've never experienced the Nefesh Benefesh show before that we do from the plane, it is uh, something exhilarating and unique. If you've heard it before, it is something exhilarating and unique. That is for sure. JM in the AM, couple of notes from our uh, community calendar. Oh, by the way, by the way, next week, after uh, Tisha B'Av ends, is a, um, or the observance of Tisha B'Av, because it's really the 10th of Av, it is great for another reason as well. On Monday morning, Mordechai Shapiro, and many of you may recall that it has been very difficult to secure Mordechai Shapiro for our studio for a full-length conversation. We've tried a couple of times recently, and uh, those plans fell through at the last minute, you may recall. He is now scheduled for Monday, 7.50 Eastern Time here at JM in the AM, and, and we are very much looking forward to it. So there you go. The annual Catskills nine-day conference is uh, today. Uh, Dr. Palkovitz, Hindi Klein, Dr. Faye Zakheim, Dr. Shoshana Friedman, uh, all happening today up at the Fallsview Estate Shul in uh, Fallsburg, New York. Uh, so that starts at 1.30, and we know because of the topic of uh, when did honor thy children become one of the Ten Commandments, I know that uh, there's going to be quite a crowd there tonight, uh, to the, the this afternoon, rather, this afternoon. Tonight is the annual memorial and tribute to the great Zev Jabotinsky, 7 p.m. 
at Parky Synagogue, 164 E68th Street in New York. Both Amot Ayal and Aryeh King will be speaking. Information, contact the Americans for a Safe Israel, afc.org. afc.org. Oh, tonight is a national, um, national night out. Police forces around the United States. Tonight is national night out, including in many of uh, communities uh, that we are very familiar with. So everybody enjoy those gatherings. I know some of them are actually are actually actually adjust themselves to be kosher and to appeal to our community. So enjoy that. The annual Amit Yom Iyun Day of Learning for Women by Women is this Wednesday tomorrow at nine thirty a.m. at the Sephardic Temple on Branch Boulevard in Cedarhurst. Razi Chechik, the head of school of Manhattan Day School, is the keynote speaker. Her topic: Letters. Floating in the Air, the story of the woman who printed the Vilna Talmud. Lunch will follow. Information on meetchildren.org slash yomiyun. Meetchildren.org slash yomiyun. And here's the Tisha B'Av program I was telling you about. The New Springville Jewish Center. They'll daven Shachar Sunday at 825, and then we go live at 915 for the Kinos services. Shlomo Y. Siegel, Shlomo Schwartz, Rabbi Yehuda Kovacs, Rabbi Elio Sonnenschein, Rabbi Yosef Siegel will all be presenting Kinnus explanations. Thoughts about Tisha B'Av at 12.15 with both Mayor Simcha Siegel and Rabbi Yaakov Learfield, the rabbi of the Young Israel of Staten Island. The entire program will be at NahumSiegel.com. It'll be on the NSN app, of course, as well. You'll be able to listen to it. And, of course, on our listen line as well. And uh, it's all being done live from the New Springville Jewish Center, 120 Saxon Avenue in Staten Island. If you want to dive in with them there, 825 Shachris, 2 p.m. Mincha. And speaking of 2 p.m. Mincha, don't forget the 42nd Annual Tisha B'Av Mincha for Israel and Jews in danger around the world, including here in the United States. Uh, this coming Sunday, the observance of Tisha B'Av at 2 p.m. at the Isaiah Wall opposite the U.N. 1st Avenue and 43rd Street. There will be Torah reading, full mincha. Bring your sitter, talis, and tefillin. Information, 212-663-5784. 212-663-5784. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Zechonishmas of Zebrin Yosolevi, and... Zechenishmas Esther Basar Yosef Alevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. It says, Vanitzak El Hashem, Elokevoseinu. He cried out to Hashem, the God of our fathers, Vaishma Hashem Eskoleinu, that Hashem heard our voices. Hagoy Rabbi Yashem says that the whole Yitzhiz Mitzrayim, the exodus of Egypt, was for Kabbalah Satoira in order to accept the Torah in the future. As it says, Ki anochi shalachti b'otziach v'esoam v'mitzrayim, ta'avdun es'alukim ala harazeh. That the reason that Klal Yisrael was going to go out from Mitzrayim was in order to serve me on the mountain. Rav Yosef says from this, we see that there is no Torah without tefillah. Tefillah, or prayer, has the power to be Mishana de Teva, even to change the course of nature. The Marsha in Meseches Kiddushin in the Talmud says that a nace 
A miracle happens through tefillah, but it's not considered a nace that is menakin lo mischuyosov. It does not take away from the rest of our merits. Usually, when something miraculous happens, it takes away from our merits. However, when a nace happens through tefillah, it does not detract. Tefillah is one of those things, sha'omdim berumo shalolom. It stands at the height of the world. There is no gvul. There is no boundary. A person can even be poel devarim niskavim. They can achieve great goals, lamailam inateva, even outside the confines of nature. The great tzaddik, Ramoshav Kubrin, once said, A person who is not mesugal to Davin, after he was nichshol baveros, an individual that cannot pray after he stumbled into some sins, to pour out his heart before Hashem, is like a son who is erred. He goes before his father, and his father does whatever he wants, is still not standing on the threshold of Avoda. The Chosm Lublin says a good friend can be poor Yeshua's for his friend like the Tzadik Ador. If a good friend prays for his or her good friend, they can cause the other individual to experience great Yeshua's and Besuros Tavos. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day. J.M. in the A.M. My thanks to Rabbi Goldwasser. We'll get back uh, in just a few minutes to our barrel wine. We are expecting a guest momentarily who's going to join us regarding an event that's happening in our community. So we hope to get to that. Uh, afternoon thunderstorms, a high temperature of 83. It's National Night Out as we salute and uh, thank our uh, police departments in cities across, from the United, across the United States. It's a good uh, it's a good opportunity. I hope all, all people out there who have an opportunity tonight at National Night Out um, uh, to thank the uh, police officers. I hope you have that opportunity. I hope you go ahead and take advantage of that opportunity. It's a good, uh, it's a good time to do so. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, also, the Catskills, the annual, uh, the annual Catskills um, nine days conference takes place. Today, 1.30 p.m., and that's going to be at the uh, Fallsview Shul. That's going to be the Fallsview Shul, um, the Fallsview Estate Shul in Fallsburg, New York. It starts at 1.30 p.m. with Dr. David Pelkovitz, Hindi Klein, Dr. Faye Zakheim, Dr. Shoshana Friedman. Go to unitedtaskforce.org for information. Again, it's 1.30 today. The topic, when did honor thy children become one? of the Ten Commandments. Certainly an intriguing topic and the one that has gotten a lot of attention. We spoke to Dr. Zakam, you may recall, on Friday and uh, she told us just how uh, poignant and uh, groundbreaking this topic has been based on the reaction to it. <laughs> and that is uh, very believable to say the least with the way things are going these days. Um, Alright, so that's at one thirty today up in the Catskills. Many of you have heard of the organization Just One Life. They have an event that's happening tomorrow night that's dedicated for Rafur Shlema for Gabriela Malka Bas Rasha. They have saved over 18,000 babies uh, at Just One Life. 
uh, by literally um, uh, helping expectant mothers bring their babies to full term. And again, the figure is now over 18,000. Tomorrow night's event is at the home of the Mandel family on Westminster Avenue in Bergenfield, New Jersey, and it's being co-hosted by Rachel and Ozzy Mandel and Cheryl and Aaron Lieberman. With us live via telephone is Rabbi uh, Marty Katz, who is the executive vice president of Just One Life and has been with us many, many times over the last many, many years to talk about how great an effort the organization makes. Rabbi Katz, welcome back to JM in the AM. Shalom Aleichem, Reb Nachum. It's always a pleasure to say hello. I appreciate that. Tomorrow night's a big event. It's Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, who's been invited by the Mandels and the Liebermans to come and inspire everybody. Is Rabbi Jacobson a good choice during the nine days to speak about just one life? I think Rabbi Jacobson is a good choice to speak about any topic related <laughs> to uh, anything involved in uh, Judaism or in the world. He's one of the most unique personalities, Torah individuals I've gotten to know. It's only recent that I've gotten to know him, Nachum. And he speaks tomorrow night. He's always a big hit, as you pointed out, very, very uh, popular. And he'll be speaking on behalf of the organization. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about Just One Life. Give us an update what's happening with the organization. I just got back from Israel. Just One Life is unique in its formula. It's a formula of love. It's a formula of outreach. It's a formula of kindness. We've been around 30 years. Actually, 30 years ago, I was on your show. Yeah. My beard was not as gray, nor was my uh, the head of hair, but I still had a I still have a head of hair. Uh, we tackle the problem of pregnancy in crisis. Any issue related to expectant mothers where there's a pregnancy in crisis situation, a woman may have to be off her feet because she has a very high risk pregnancy. There are financial issues in the house. There's a situation where, God forbid, the family is not whole. There's a family where there's a mental health issue. There's depression. Any kind of issue that affects an expectant mother, albeit in any of the areas that I've stated, based on referrals of social workers, doctors, rabbiniotes, psychologists, rabbis, they send these women or women and husbands to our office in Jerusalem. It starts with a phone call. It's ongoing. We provide therapy. We provide counseling. It's an ongoing relationship. And God bless. We've saved over 18,000 babies. The last few months, we've been involved with three sets of triplets. Wow. And yes, 20 years ago, Yael, the mother of quadruplets, the doctors told her to fetal reduce. Jack Forgesh, chairman and founder of Just One Life, a native in Teaneck, got involved in the case. Dr. Shimon Glick from Beersheva, well-known in the medical field, he got involved. Madeleine Gittleman, founder and now chairperson of the board, got involved. We couldn't understand the data. Nachum Siegel, these babies are 20 years old, and I went to their bar mitzvah seven <laughs> years ago. Unbelievable. What area of Israel do they live in? Do you know? Do you know what city they're in? The Kajubut? Yeah. Sure. Hanof. 
They're in it's hard a high woman. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. I know. Just One Thanks. Life has saved over 18,000 babies. And tomorrow night you get an opportunity to hear about Y.Y. Jacobson and you get an opportunity to support all the incredible work that they do, as Rabbi Katz has described. Uh, very nice of the Mandels and the Liebermans to co-host this event, right? They are very, very special people whose whole motif and lifestyle is the Jewish community. The, one of the most incredible sets of people. I have met the Mandels a few years ago, and the, and the Liebermans and I go back well over 25 years. Wow, very nice. So they're going to be co-hosting the event. It's happening at the Mandel home tomorrow night on Westminster Avenue in Bergenfield. You could use this phone number for information. It's 347-996-7751. Again, 347 996 Five, one. You can also go to the website, justonelife.org, justonelife.org. And Rabbi Katz, I know there are other organizations that we could say this about, um, uh, but in, in your case, I think it's so, so true, and that is that it's really a matter of dollars and cents. The more money you bring in, simply the more saves you can, the more lives you could save. Would you say that's a good evaluation? It's a, an excellent evaluation, but I'm not surprised because you always make the right evaluation. May I state the amount $1,800. Say it again. Save a baby. Say it again. For $1,800, you can save a baby. Wow. All right. You could give it one time. You could go online and donate. Okay. You can um, do it over time, however you want, or you could give seriously what you feel you can give. That's my pitch on the phone. Because pitch uh, for babies, but pitch for what you can do. If someone can't, if someone can't do the whole eighteen hundred, they should give as much uh, uh, of that as possible, and they can uh, they can have a portion in that very very big uh, mitzvah. Uh, correct, and it's the right time. The nine days leading yeah. to Elu, leading to Rosh Hashanah, the Yom Kama Kamayi Barayon. How you, many shall be born? Are you doing your Asaras Shuva program again, like you have in the past? We are. That's going to be coming up, uh, coming up a few weeks from now. Actually, it's coming up. The Aseri Shemay Chuba program will take place in October, the Sunday right before um, Yom Kippur, which is the sixth at the Young Israel Flappers, like we've been doing for thirty years. Right, unbelievable. And everyone will have an opportunity then to uh, to come and to participate. All right, everyone, tomorrow night, Bergen County, pay careful attention. The Mandel Home is the place to help support Just One Life and to hear Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. It's all happening tomorrow night in Teaneck, in Bergenfield, actually, New Jersey. Information at 347-996-7751. Uh, or uh, you can go to justonelife.org. I'm Marty Katz, Executive Vice President of Just One Life. Thanks so much for joining us. And good luck tomorrow night, Rabbi Katz. I hope it's a very, very big success, the event. Nachum, thank you as always. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu should just give you the strength, the koach, to keep doing all that you do for every aspect of Klau Yisrael. Amen. Much appreciated. Thank you so much. Good luck tomorrow night. And special regards to the Mandel and Lieberman families from all of us here at JM in the AM. 16 minutes before 8 o'clock on this JM and the AM Tuesday, we're in our nine days format. We continue with the Haftorah of Tishabov with the one and only Rabbi Beryl Wine, his uh, lectures and information about his lectures, 1-800-499-WEIN, or go to the web, rabbiwine.com.
So the Novi, now the Novi uh, sees the Churban in front of his eyes. He sees uh, the terrible events. The prophet uh, Yirmiyo, uh, in fact, he mentions it. Uh, he says, Ani I am the person that saw it. The other prophets, and that's the, the Medrash says here, the other prophets only predicted it, so they knew it was going to happen. But there's a great difference, my friends, in life, and know that something's going to happen and actually witness it. You actually have to live through it. And the Novi, therefore, says, I, more than any of the other prophets, I'm the unlucky one, because I am the one who saw it happen, who was the living witness to it. Regarding the great mountains of Israel, the hills, I will now raise my voice in weeping. And in Nehi is moaning a song, an elegy, a song of, of weeping and of sadness. So this is the measure for measure to Midah Keneged Midah because on the hills and mountains of Israel is where the Jews worshipped Avodah Zarah. So the mountains were destroyed. The beauty was removed. Later at the time of the second temple, the mountain was actually lowered. It was physically lowered, removed from its exalted status. Valnaus Midbor and regarding the oases that existed in the desert, I will sit and mourn. Because the churban that the uh, enemies of Israel brought to the country is such that nothing is left. He describes it in terms of a great locust that consumes everything in front of it. So that nothing is left. Even the oases in the desert are destroyed. A little like Kuwait uh, looks. Right? Nothing is left. I mean, if you just think of the enormity of, uh, of the destruction. So the poor Emir will have to spend some $180 billion that he has stored all over the world, but that doesn't in any way mitigate the destruction that occurred. That's what the Navi describes here. The country, the oases, the mountains, the roads are forlorn. There is no traveler that passes. Nobody walks. Nobody goes anywhere. There's no travel. No longer is heard in the countryside the sounds of the cattle meaning the sounds of domestic agricultural life. It has all been quieted. The birds of heaven, the animals of the earth, Nodadu have wandered away. Holochu have gone their own way. They are no longer here. They're no longer present. They're gone. So the, uh, the history of the Jewish people in the land of Israel 
is that for hundreds, for well over a thousand years, the country was barren. There were no animals, there were no birds, there was nothing. Just stones, sand, emptiness. The Ramban says that that was part of God's plan, is that no one came to inhabit the country. All the Palestinians who are there now all came after the Jews. If you read Joan Peters' book from time immemorial, so she documents there how the entire uh, Arab immigration into Palestine is in the last hundred years. When the Jews developed the country. But the country was empty. No population. And when there are no human beings, there are no animals, nothing. A scene of ultimate desolation. So Jerusalem was mounds, you know, like tells, uh, archaeological digs, just mounds of rubble. Gal is like a, uh, a mound, a monument, a bunch of stones piled one on top of the other, Gal Aid. Ma'on Tanim, it became the home of jackals, of wild animals who live in the desert, who live where no one else lives. It's a, uh, Tanim is a, uh, we translate it as a jackal, it's a type of a desert dog. It's a wild creature that lives off of rodents. It's a uh, fierce predator but it does not live anywhere where there's civilization. It lives in the wild. Ves ore Yehuda etein Shmoma and the cities of Judah that previously were so populous and now have become desolate, isolated, alone. Mibri Yoshev, with no one there, no one that's present. Now the Novi moves to another topic. Famous sukim here in the Novi. From here to the conclusion of the Aftora are some of the most uh, well-known and famous and strongest sukim in all of Tanakh. I mentioned to you before this Aftora is enormously powerful. It's enormously sad. That's why they laid it all on on Tisha B'av. The Aftora is so strong we don't read Eicha in the morning. This Haftorah uh, sums up everything there is to say in the Book of Lamentations. It's almost as though if we had this Haftorah plus Eicha, that would be too much to bear. Where can you find a wise man that understands what's happening here? Who knows what happened here? So we could say that today. We could say that regarding the events of our time. Who is the wise man that can tell us, that can explain the Holocaust to us, who can explain uh, the state of Israel, who can explain all of the struggles, all of the wars, all of the pain, all of the blood, all of the sacrifice? Who could explain it? Who is the wise man who understands? Vashir Diber Pi Hashem Eilo 
And who is the man to whom God has spoken in explanation? Viagido, and he's now going to tell us what happened here. Who is that person? So this is based, the Medrash bases it that neither the wise men nor the prophets of Israel could explain the enormity of the disaster that befell the Jewish people. It's literally the story of our time, too. All of the reasons uh, that are advanced by many uh, for the Holocaust and for everything else that happened to the Jewish people all fall hollow. They don't it's hard for us to justify, no matter what our sins were, a uh, punishment of that magnitude, of that enormity. A million and a half children under the age of 12, all of the unspeakable things that happened. How, how did it happen? So the Novi himself has no answer. Our more of the Oretz. Why was the land of Israel destroyed? Nitzisah Kamidbor, why was it burned, parched, like a desert? Mibriyover, that it has no inhabitants, that no one lives there, no one visits there. Why did this happen? So the Gemara says no one could answer that. So God came and answered it. If a God answers it in a way that's not understandable to us, to God it's an answer. To us, we find it hard to understand it. Vayomer Hashem, God said, Al ozvom es torosi asher nosati lifneim. Because they have forsaken the Torah that I placed before them. That's the root cause of all of these troubles. Because they no longer wanted to live a Torah life. They were no longer loyal to it. They did not hearken to my voice, to all of the prophets that I sent. And they did not want to go in the path of righteousness, in the road of the Torah. They did not want to follow its lifestyle, its value system. Instead, they wanted to go according to the wildness of their hearts. Whatever their heart wanted, they wanted to have. It's like uh, someone who is uncontrolled. He wants this, he wants that, he, wants, he doesn't know what he wants. He just wants to be wild. And they went after the idols. Asher Lindum Avosam, that their forefathers had trained them already. The, this isn't just this generation, but that this was part of their heritage, so to speak. So the Mephoshim say here a number of great ideas. Number one, that they went after the idols, not because they believed in the idols. They went after the idols because they wanted to go after what their hearts wanted. So they needed a philosophy that allowed them to be immoral. A great deal of, uh, of uh, the Western world today uh, follows in that. They want to be immoral, 
they want to do whatever they want, so therefore they invent the philosophy that justifies it. They say it's unhealthy to be inhibited. Other such, uh, it's the, what drives uh, much of the uh, psychological explanations of man and justifications of man in the 20th century is the fact that man does not want to be bound to any moral system. Man does not want to be disciplined. The Talmud tells us that uh, this, uh, the Gemara in Gitten tells us that uh, the great Rav Yeshua, Rav Hananya, came to Rome, to one of the great cities in the Roman Empire, uh, where he heard a Jewish child was imprisoned, and he stood at the gate of the prison, he stood by the window, and he said the first half here, Almor of the Oretz, why was the land destroyed? And the child answered from inside the prison, because they forsook the Torah. So the Tana of Yeshua said, if there's such a child that he understands that, then I will redeem him no matter what the price is. He, uh, he paid an enormous price to ransom him, to redeem him, and the child became a great Talmud Chochem, the great Rabbi Shmuel. Uh, was that child who was in prison. But again, the, the question that he asked is why? Which is the most difficult question to answer. Why was the land destroyed? So people say, uh, well, you know, it was destroyed. It was political. They didn't have a strong enough army. It was uh, economically not viable, etc. None of those excuses are true. The country is destroyed because of its lack of moral fiber, because of the fact that it did not follow the Torah. We find the same uh, reasoning in the Talmud always. The Talmud asks, whenever they saw an older person, they said, How come you lived so long? So nowhere in the Talmud is the answer given that I exercised, or I took good care of myself, or I went to sleep early at night. The answer is always found in a moral thing. I did this good deed. All my life I devoted myself to this task. Because our rabbis always ask the question deeper than what looks on the surface. It's not enough just to exercise. It doesn't mean you're not supposed to exercise. But that's not, that, that's not the full answer. That doesn't say the reason. So here also... It doesn't say that the reason for the destruction of the Jewish state in the time of Yirmiyah and later in the time of the Second Temple was because of the fact that the empires were stronger than they were. And because this Jewish state had existed for hundreds of years, always with stronger empires against them. But because of the fact that they were morally bankrupt. In the end, uh, all the notes were called in. They were just wrong and eventually they paid the price Welcome. JM in the AM with Rabbi Barrel Wine's lecture on the Haftorah of Tishabov, which I think we will finally be able to conclude uh, later this hour in the 8 o'clock hour uh, all coming up at America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com on the NachumSiegel network and of course 
on the uh, beloved NSN app. It's a Tuesday on the 6th of August, the 5th of Menachemav. We are in our nine days format, and I thank you for listening to JM in the AM. I remind you that we have a, a big week ahead next week. On a Sunday, the observance of Tisha B'Av, actually the 10th of Av, but in the observance of Tisha B'Av, we will have our live program from the New Springville Jewish Center with seven presentations between 9.15 in the morning and uh, Mincha at 2 p.m. A whole host of great speakers that we've outlined for you and will continue to do so. Uh, the first five will be explaining Kinos, and then, of course, uh, two speeches, Mayor Simcha Siegel and Rabbi Learfield, on uh, thoughts about Tisha B'Av. Uh, if you want to be at the New Springville Jewish Center on Sunday, they'll dive in Shacharis at 8.25, Mincha at uh, 2 p.m. Monday, Mordechai Shapiro is slated to be in our studio here at JM in the AM at 7.50 Eastern Time on Monday morning. On a Tuesday, right after JM in the AM, we uh, fly to Israel again with Nefesh Benefesh. Uh, we will be on the flight with hundreds of Olim and telling some amazing stories as we broadcast from the plane, a show that you'll hear Wednesday morning between 6 and 9 a.m. Eastern Time right here at uh, JM in the AM. And then Thursday, please God, assuming uh, all planes land on time, we should be back in studio here for a Thursday morning broadcast. Uh, preparing for both the Tuba'av and Shabbos Nachamu. So that's the schedule. And, of course, this week we remain in our nine days uh, format here at JM in the AM. Rabbi Shalom Hammer is with us live via telephone. The book is entitled Armed with Spirit, a father's advice to his son in the Israeli army based on the weekly Torah portions. Rabbi Shalom Hammer served under the Rabbinate Division of the Israeli Defense Forces and currently serves as a senior lecturer for Machane Mushutaf and the Jewish Identity Branch of the IDF. In addition, he's founder of Makom Mishutaf, offering non-denominational Jewish programming for secular kibbutzim and moshavim throughout Israel. He's a sought-after lecturer for communities throughout the diaspora. Go to RabbiHammer.com. Again, that's RabbiHammer.com. Com. His fifth book is called Armed with Spirit, a father's advice to his son in the Israeli army based on the weekly Torah portions. Rabbi Shalom Hammer, welcome back to JM in the AM. Hi, good morning. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. A pleasure to speak with you. Am I right that this, that, that this whole practice that led to the book, the practice of being in touch with your son on a somewhat regular basis, Without modern technology, this would never have developed. Am I right about that? Yeah, yeah, very very much so right. I don't know if you remember those old uh, blue postage mail things that you <laughs> used to have back in the day 30 years ago, and you would rip them open as you would get a letter from your parents overseas, and half the letter would be gone. Today, right. thank God, with uh, WhatsApp, which everything, every single Israeli is familiar with, um, I was able to write consistently every single day. I was able to send a Dvar Torah to my son while he was in the Army. And you... Uh, thought of this simply the first day that he left you? Like, when did this whole thing develop? Yeah, absolutely. Before he went in, I was already heavily involved in the Army and as a lecturer, uh, both with yeshivotas there, religious units in the Army as well, as predominantly with secular soldiers. And I'm very aware of the various downfalls, challenges, and obstructions that one can have in the Army that's both physical but certainly spiritually challenging. To someone who's a young man or a young woman who are uh, religiously observant, being in, thrown into a predominantly 
secular atmosphere uh, has no question various challenges, and I wanted to make sure that my son and our son should know and understand that we're there with him, and to throw him a piece of Torah every single day that he should be able to look back, reflect, and hopefully derive some inspiration. Did you get the feeling that he liked hearing from you on a regular basis? Because we know how children can be sometimes, especially when parents try to either give advice or words of encouragement. Were you getting a good vibe from him on the other end? <laughs> well, that's a very good question. I'm wondering if any of my kids like hearing from me at any point in the day. <laughs> but um, certainly, certainly, um, look, in the end of the day, uh, my son, uh, you know, obviously, I think before he went into the Army, I don't know if he was so gung-ho knowing that I was going to send him a Dvar Torah every day, but he had studied for two years in a pre-military academy, a Mechinak Dam Tzvai called Atzmona, and he was pretty immersed in studying Torah. He was definitely a very committed young man. And I think when I posed the idea to him, number one, I'm not sure I really gave him much of a choice. I told him <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway, even though I knew that many of the divrei Torah he would not necessarily read, not only because he might not necessarily want to, but also because his phone is not always available right. uh, when you're a combat soldier. However, he was definitely, you know, definitely amenable to the idea. And once he was already in the throes of various training and advanced army training, I think he definitely appreciated the fact that he would hear from me on a daily basis. The divrei Torah that I would send to him were very, very short, succinct, and uh, just to give him a point and give him some chizuk, some encouragement on, on every single day. Well, I, I, I love the book, absolutely love the book. It, uh, I, I don't have children who went to the Army, but I said to myself, if I would, I would love for them to get these types of messages on a daily basis. And one of the things I love about the book, Rabbi Hammer, is that Sometimes we forget, especially on this side of the world, or I should say anywhere in the diaspora, sometimes we forget how so much of our, about our tradition and our heritage is about Eretz Israel, about maintaining Eretz Israel, about defending Eretz Israel, about being there and putting one's life, God forbid, on the line for Eretz Israel. And as you explored all the parashiot of the Torah with all that in mind, I'm sure you discovered that as well. Yeah, there's no question about it, but I, I want to emphasize something that you mentioned a few moments ago, and that's a very important point. Look, I mean, in the end of the day, I served in the Army. A number of my children my, uh, served in the Army. My son-in-law, my daughter, is currently in the Army, and I continue the practice of sending her Advar Torah every day through WhatsApp. Um, but what's interesting is, is that Rav Yosef Tzvi Rimon, who is a well-known Zionist rabbi in sure. Israel and, of course, served in the Army and is inv heavily involved with uh, students who serve in the army, he wrote a haskama to the book, and in the haskama he wrote that he actually cried reading the book because he said it's not only vital with regards to giving chizuk to strengthening guys and girls who are serving in the army, but really the concept of strengthening parents on a daily basis, for parents to understand the importance of reaching out to their children on a daily basis, of discussing and creating rapport with them on a consistent premise, and um, he said that that's just so important for all parents to subscribe to today as well. Amazing. Amazing. And that, by, by the way, I got that feeling. I got that feeling because uh, it, it's an emotional book. One might not think that a, a book of Devray Torah based on the Torah portion of the week can be an emotional book. It's an emotional book just knowing that you are you know, transmitting these to your son and, 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 and you know conjecturing just how much you must miss him and worry about him. And knowing that, again, he, even with all the, the cynicism of the young people, 
you know, no doubt, you know, many times during the day says, you know, I'd rather be home than doing this. So, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you something. It's funny that there's still parts of it that I read now, and unfortunately my memory doesn't serve me well, but when I read it, uh, there are still parts of me that begin to cry. Yeah. Um, you know, just because I'm just moved, not necessarily from my wonderful words, but just from the concept and the ideas that are developed. Um, I mean, I'll also say that with regards to, you know, these young people and serving in the Army, um, it's just it's tremendously inspirational. I, I don't want anyone to get the feeling that the book is a tearjerker and depressing, just the opposite. If anything, it really gives us a strength and, uh, and to derive a, a certain desire to be connected, as you said, to Israel, to the army, to these young people who are really, in the end of the day, the leaders of our entire Jewish nation at such a young, ripe age. I think it's a tearjerker, but exhilarating, if you ask me. I mean, yeah. I, mean yeah. I, I think it's emotional, but it's unbelievably inspirational. Uh, book is called Armed with Spirit, a father's advice to his son in the Israeli army based on the weekly Torah portions. Um, you know, many people wonder about the uh, atmosphere in the army. In fact, in the in the exchanges between your son, and we should note, by the way, that in many of these different Torah, there, your son's responses are included. I mean, there's a lot of dialogue between you and him uh, in the book. I think that might be the most, most emotional parts or when you're going back and forth. Um, right. you, you didn't just include what you wrote to him. You, you included the exchanges, which I thought were great. And, Correct. And, and, Correct. In, and in some of them, he alludes to um, the difficulties or, or, you know, some of the things you just uh, alluded to earlier in this conversation about being a religious Jew in a mostly secular environment. And we know the army, Baruch Hashem, has many wonderful religious and communal aspects to it. But, you know, let's face facts. You're spending a lot of time with people who generally did not grow up in the same type of atmosphere that uh, that your son, for instance, was used to uh, growing up uh, as a parent and as a you know as a potential soldier d- d- is one is one you know debating with themselves for a long period of time before finally making that decision to go into that environment well, I'll tell you something. I mean, there's not that much debate to do with regards to people who subscribe to Medina Yisrael and to the really the Chiyav Deoraita, the obligation from the Torah to protect Eretz Yisrael. Today, I don't think anyone, well, there might be some, but I think most people would agree, I'm talking about Poskim Rabanim, that serving in the army today is really a Milchemet Chova. I mean, it's, a, it's an absolute obligation to protect the country. Uh, the main debate that comes up, and there's the conversation Conflict that might exist amongst the youth is whether they should serve in Hezder units, which are which is going into the army with religious or observant units together. Could be consist of 15 to 30 young men who are coming from yeshivot as one unit, or to go in as a regular combat soldier. And the difference is that if you go in as a Danish, as someone through the yeshivat Hezder system, you're serving only 18 months. And I'm not belittling that, but your ability to move on or advance in your service or as a officer and so on and so forth is limited. Whereas if you serve as a regular combat soldier in a regular unit, you're talking about two years and eight months at the very least with the ability to be mitkadem, in other words, to move forward and advance in your army training and in your service as an officer and so on and so forth. So the opportunities are much more broad for someone who's serving in regular combat. Having said that, one who does go into 
to a regular combat force um, is, yes, going to be surrounded by mostly secular, secular Israelis. Uh, obviously, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with them. They're wonderful young men and young women. But they're certainly not aware of things that an observant person would be aware of. And I have to tell you that as a lecturer in the Army, I consistently come across many youth, uh, secular Israelis, who are not familiar with basic fundamentals and foundations, not only of faith, but of Jewish knowledge, that we would expect an Israeli to be familiar with. And unfortunately, it doesn't resonate with them. And that's really what I'm doing in the Army as a speaker, as a lecturer. I'm trying to bring back, or we're trying to bring back, that spirit, that understanding, that ideology, both of Zionism, of history, appreciating the text and appreciating the richness of what our Jewish culture has to offer. Because if our army is just any other army in protecting a country, but it's not a Jewish army, and it doesn't appreciate and understand where we came from, uh, then there's no way that we could possibly move forward to where we need to be. May I ask you uh, what your daughter's role is in the Army? Absolutely. Uh, our daughter, Nechama, she serves as a Madrichat Shob, that stands for a Madrichat Shlitao Bakara. It's a special technical system that tracks soldiers in the field, and she is based on a, on a base down south called Bislach, and she is involved with officer training. She trains officers how to use uh, technical track, tracking systems for soldiers in the field. It's a, it's a lovely job. She's very happy with it. We're very proud of her. And in fact, she just got a job with something called Elbit, which is a a uh, industry of military and technology uh, that they that they sell to various countries, and they like hiring these young girl soldiers who have been involved in these tracking systems. And she's moving on to work for them afterwards. Amazing. Um, does she receive uh, uh, identical or unique divrei Torah from her father? <laughs> That's, uh, Does she well, get the same know, ones her brother gets? <laughs> she, she actually said to me, Abba, when are you, when are you going to write the next book about me? <laughs> so I, I don't know if that's going to happen. It's an interesting question that you ask. I have to tell you that my son, our son, he served in a combat unit. So the challenges for him were much different than the challenges that she has. Right. I, in all the Divrei Torah that I sent to him, I tried very hard to gear them with a message of strength, of inspiration, knowing that his training would be difficult, that there would be times that he would be uh, highly discouraged, that he would need a certain amount to derive a certain amount of of inspiration uh, when he's out in the field and so on and so forth, and that there would be, unfortunately, uh, he would be faced with various dangerous situations and tenuous situations during his during his service. For example, the four months that he spent in Hebron, the four months that he spent on the border of Egypt, and so on and so forth. So every Dvar Torah that I sent him, uh, generally speaking, would have a message in the end of the day of being proud of serving your country. Don't be discouraged. Realize what a great responsibility you have, but what an awesome opportunity you are presented with as well. The Devray Torah that I send to my daughter are not as geared to that in as much as they are to share with her a Dvar Torah so that she has something spiritual resonating in her mind during the day. Interesting. Um, it seemed your son, based on the exchanges with you that I read in the book, it seems that he had an appreciation for the, for the m- most, what some would say, minute 
uh, jobs or tasks that a soldier might have, he had an appreciation for just how vital even that small task is in defending the land of Israel. Yeah, you know what they what they do is I mean when you're when you're in the army, uh, there is a constant emphasis on shalsheret. You know that everything is a chain, a chain of command. But it's not just a chain of command, but it's a chain that can't be broken. So in other words, in the end of the day, even what we call jobnikim, guys who are not serving in combat but have jobs uh, such as cooks, uh, technicians, engineers, all of them are or should be well aware that if anything, you know. Uh, a small spool goes off or or something is not prepared properly, that that affects, in the end of the day, the chain of command, and that affects the combat soldier as well. You know, a combat soldier has to eat. The combat soldier has to have his uh, ammunition and munitions and, and, and technology to sought after so that he can use it properly. So it's very important to have that connection between every single thing that you do in the Army, that everything is vital and everything is important. Um, I remember when my son uh, this fellow Yaakov, who the book is about or based on in his service, when he was in, uh, I think it was 11th or 12th grade in an Israeli high school, I remember overhearing him speaking to some of his peers, and he said, you know, Hevra, I want you to know that even if I have to brush the latrines, the toilets, with a toothbrush, I'll do it with a certain amount of fervor and a certain amount of dedication, because everything is important when it comes to serving in the Army. Where did he get this attitude, Rabbi Hammer? No, oh, no question for me. <laughs> you, 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 if you interview my wife; she might beg to differ. You would also, you would also take a toothbrush and clean the latrines, huh? <laughs> well, I don't know about that at this point, but I'll tell you, Baruch Hashem, uh, my wife and I are Zocha, and it's, uh, I'll give large credit to my wife to have children who are very ideological, very motivated. We try and infuse them with an idea that you have to be part of saving Amya soil, and that, you know, in Israel and in the Jewish world at large, we're a very, very small nation, a very small world that we exist in. And many people look at that as a detriment. We try and emphasize that that's an advantage because no matter what you do, you're bound to have impact. Where'd you go to high school? I went to MTA. Did you ever sit back and think to yourself, because you know all the different directions MTA or any Yeshiva League graduate can go in, did you ever think to yourself how, unfo how fortunate you are because your life could have gone in so many other different directions? Oh, yeah, there's no question about it. I'll say two things. We went, uh, I w was brought up, we, we were brought up in Muncie, Muncie, New York. I don't know if you heard of it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and um, w w when we went, we went to a school, elementary school called Ashar, or back, back in the day it was called High Rock, and there was a rabbi named Rabbi Nachum Michel, uh, you know, and he was an outstanding educator. And one of the things that that school did was really teach us, they taught us, number one, Ivrit Ivrit, we studied in Hebrew, and they imbued inside of us a sense of dedication to Zionism, to Eretz Yisrael, to the land of Israel. Ashar Hirak has a huge amount of graduates from my day who have made Aliyah, and I have to credit them. To this day, I was a troublemaker. I didn't learn that much, and I wasn't an academic by any stretch of the imagination, but something was infused inside of me that certainly encouraged my service and to be in Eretz Yisrael, as long as with many other graduates. So, yes, 
We look back, and I'll just share with you a quick thought, if I may. Sure. Um, two weeks ago, we read in Parshat Matot about Bnei Gadu, Bnei Reuven, who come to Moshe Rabbeinu, and they say that they want to settle in Ever HaYarden. And all of a sudden, they say to Moshe, and Moshe, in a sense, goes ballistic, and he loses it, and he says, How can you send your brethren into the, the, the bowels of war, and you guys sit back and watch them fight? So why did Moshe lose it? And one of the things that I explain is he entertained the possibility of letting them settle in Ever HaYarden because it was economically viable. But if you're going to settle in Ever HaYarden in Chutzvah you can't at the same time make the proclamation, don't make us cross over the Jordan Valley. Because then you're not only saying that we want to sit here in Chutzvah but we don't want to be there. I think every Jew, even if they're sitting here, and everyone has a reason, and I'm not judging at all, and I understand that not everyone could be in Eretz Yisrael, but every Jew has to want to be in Eretz Yisrael, and can never say, So I remind my kids that we are fortunate, because not every Jew sees it that way, and not every Jew has that opportunity or understands it, and we do, and we're part of making it happen. Amazing, absolutely amazing. Everybody, Shalom Hammer is with us. By the way, do you have the book in front of you or not? I do, actually, yes. Could, could you go to 174 for a second? Because you, you address in here, and, and I'm bringing it up because it's this week, and, and this mm-hmm. week I would hope everybody's concentrating uh, on Parshat Dvarim. Um, it, it is difficult sometimes when we think of how lucky we are, even those who live in the diaspora. I, I just mentioned, you heard me mention on the air, I'm going to be in Israel for a day next week. Right, right? wow. What would Moshe Rabbeinu have given to be in the land of Israel for a day based on his dialogue with God in this week's Parsha. We, one can only imagine what he would have given to have done what I'm going to have the privilege and have had the privilege to do many, many times. And mm-hmm. so many people have had. It, it is hard so, to sometimes wrap our collective head around the fact that he did all he did with you know at the side of God. I don't want to say with God at his side, but, with, but at the side of God, he did all he did and had this one goal, and, and God himself, from the time of Abraham, states to him, meaning to Moses and all of his predecessors, how important this goal is, and he's not allowed to enter. And I just wanted to know, and it, I mean, certainly you could cite the thoughts you have on 174, but in addition to that, if, there's a, if there is a way to just reconcile with what HaKadosh Baruch Hu decided for Moshe Rabbeinu. I mean, it's it, it's it's very very difficult to understand. It's uh, all the parshanim, all of the various commentaries try and understand why Moshe was, in the end of the day, punished from coming into Eretz Yisrael. Uh, it's very difficult to understand. Um, but having said that, I mean, you make reference to 174, and what I say there, one of the ways that Moshe uh, describes Eretz Yisrael, he says, uh, He says, let me see the good land. And one of the questions that I ask here, and based on one of the parshanim, is how does he know it's tova? Uh. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's, he, he was never there. He didn't see it. But the answer is rather obvious, but it's so important. And that is, from Moshe's perspective, it was always tova. 
Everything with regards to Eretz Yisrael is perspective. I always say about the Meraglim, we're coming up to Tisha B'Av, so it says, Vayivku Ha'am Balayla Ha'hu. And the Gemara says, Balayla Ha'hu, I think it's the Gemara in Sanhedrin, that Balayla Ha'hu on that night is referring to the night of Tisha B'Av. What exactly went wrong with the Meraglim? So there's many, many commentaries, etc., what they did wrong and various theories, the Ibn Ezra, the Rambam, the Ramban. I say that, in actuality, when Moshe sends them on the mission, which is completely a sound mission, I mean, you don't send soldiers into a, a conquest without a certain amount of tactics and strategies, but when Moshe sends them, he says to them, mahi. See the land mahi. What is mahi? So one would say it means mahi for what it is, but I'd like to suggest that mahi is for what it can be. In other words, Moshe expected from them to see not the land that it is now, but the land that it can be, the potential oh. that the land has. <laughs> there are only a certain amount of people that see Eretz Yisrael that way. It is only those people who are able to sustain and live in the land of Israel. Because if you're looking at Israel for what it is now, there's plenty to fetch about, and there's plenty to be disheartened about. But if you see the land of Eretz Yisrael as Moshe did, Tovahi, that the, the potential is so good. There's so much we can do. There's so much we can contribute. There's so much we can develop. And I want you to know that I spoke about this just this past week. I go to secular kibbutzim, deal with secular Israelis, and teach them, you know, Havanat Mikra, etc., and we go through various texts. And I said to them, look, your parents, your grandparents, saw Eretz Yisrael Mahi. We don't have to be talking about religious people, but they understood very well that to be a chalutz, to be a pioneer, you have to see the eucalyptus trees that could soak up the swamps near Chadera. You have to be able to see Tel Aviv as not being a desert in the middle of nowhere, but being a metropolis. And that takes a certain amount of vision. And I don't know why, and I can't completely understand why Moshe was obstructed from coming into Eretz Yisrael, but the Torah consistently emphasizes that Moshe moved forward that Moshe led B'nai Yisrael through the Yarden, and that ultimately Moshe always saw Eretz Yisrael, even though he couldn't get there, as Hatovahi. And that takes a certain amount of perspective that allows us and gives us the resilience to survive. And you're lucky enough and honored enough to have children who understand that the Eretz is Tovahi. Absolutely. Baruch Hashem. Which is such a tremendous bracha. Uh, Rabbi Shalom Hammer, uh, Armed with Spirit is the name of the book. I hope everybody listening right now is ordering this book now. You will absolutely love it if you love this conversation. Armed with Spirit is a father's advice to his son in the Israeli army based on the weekly Torah portions. And as I mentioned, it includes dialogue in many of the cases between Rabbi Hammer and his son, which makes the book even more emotional and, and frankly, uh, adds a tremendous dynamic to it. Uh, Rabbi Hammer, always a pleasure. Uh, big yeshikach on the book, and and uh, and good luck with it. I assume it's available. Well, these days you could just order it online, right? It's available. Yeah, everywhere. Abs- absolutely. It's now uh, in a- where a few days will be in Amazon, and it's on the shores of the United States already as we speak. And uh, as you mentioned, my website is rabbihammer.com. If any communities, Kihilo, JCCs, whatever it is, are interested in hosting me uh, to speak about the book and to have a lecture and a special evening.
uh, with book signings, I'd be happy to respond, and I come in periodically. So thank you so much for this opportunity. And I will highly recommend that to uh, all the congregations and their representatives who are listening right now. Rabbi Hammer, thank you. A, uh, a, a real delight speaking with you, and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Rav Nochem. I wish everyone yeshuot v'nechamot. We should only hear b'sarot tovot, and we should see Eretz Yisrael abnuya b'meirabi amenu amen. Amen. Tadaraba. There he is, Rav Shalom Hammer. Book is called Armed with Spirit. J.M. in the A.M. at 28 minutes after 8 o'clock. We will go through the community calendar yet again uh, regarding um, uh, the remainder of the nine days and Tishabov, etc., uh, I do remind you that Sunday will be live from the New Springfield Jewish Center on Staten Island. You'll be able to hear it on the app and see it at NahumSiegel.com. Uh, I also remind you that Monday, Mordechai Shapiro is scheduled to be in our studio. I know that that has happened before, that he's been scheduled to be in our studio. This time, I think it's really going to happen. Uh, 7.50 Eastern Time this coming Monday, Mordechai Shapiro live in studio here at JM in the AM. And the next week... After Tuesday's JM, we fly to Israel with Nefesh Benefesh. You will hear that show Wednesday between 6 and 9 a.m. Eastern Time from the plane with Olim, with wonderful stories and tremendous inspiration, and we are very much looking forward to it. Rabbi Beryl Wine, the conclusion of his um, lecture on the Haftorah of Tishabov at JM in the AM. Israel says, I'm going to, this people will be fed the bitter herb, which is lana. It's an herb that is a, uh, the Latin name for it is Artemisia, which I'm sure uh, does something for everybody. But it's a, uh, it's a very bitter herb. So it's not poisonous, but it's very bitter. But Vishkisi may Rosh, I shall give them to drink waters of Rosh. Rosh is already a poisonous substance. The drink that they will drink is like hemlock. It will destroy them. Now that's the description of the exile. That's the description of the punishment that's brought upon the Jewish people. I shall scatter them among nations that neither they nor their fathers ever heard of them. The uh, scattering of the Jewish people throughout the world. So in our time, we begin to realize how far the Jewish people are scattered when we see the ingathering of the Jewish people, where Jews come from, all over the world but places we never heard of, places that, you're, that no one ever knew of. And even in these places I shall have the sword pursue them until they shall be destroyed. So the Radak says here, destroyed means that the majority of the Jewish people will not survive the exile which is, again, a historical and demographic fact that we can, uh, we can attest to, that the majority of the Jewish people have not survived the exile. Not physically, well, if we count it physically or spiritually. And the sword has pursued us wherever we have been. Again, the frightening... Uh, 
comet, but the, the, the frightening comet is that he's standing 2,600 years ago and talking about today. And he sees it. Koromar Hashem Svokos, he's Bonanu. Think about this. He's Bonanu. Give it some thought. Think about it. Think about your situation. What is happening? Call the professional mourners. There were women who attended funerals and who mourned and wept. And that was their profession. They were professional criers. And that's true in the Near East today, in the Middle East today, in the Arabs. And, you know, and it was true in Eastern Europe also. That if a person wanted to have a... Uh, a deluxe first-class funeral, so then they hired people to come and cry, because otherwise nobody cried. So they hired people to come and cry to raise the emotions of the moment. Those are the Makonanos. They are the professional criers, the professional weepers. So in our time, when the macho is just the opposite, right? Not to cry, so we don't have that institution prevalent. But uh, it was uh, it was well known in the ancient world and even even till our time. Velachachomos and to the wise women who know how to mourn, shilchu send for them v'savona and let them come. And over here, it's almost a mock. Uh, he makes a mockery of it. Sarcastic. Usmaherna, tell him to come quickly, because the Khurban is here. You don't have time to delay. Vesisena Oleinu Nehi. And let them raise this song of weeping, of elegy about us. Let them moan. Viseradno Inenu Dima. Let them cause that our eyes should drip with tears. Vapapenu. Hapapenu are our eyelids. Yizlumoyim should run with water. Call them that they should awaken within us the emotion of tears. It's interesting. The Novi says that the Jewish people had sunk to such a level that they couldn't cry anymore. They didn't even appreciate what was happening to them. You had to call the professional criers in order to instill in them that emotion of the uh, destruction. Because there is a voice of weeping, of elegy, of crying that is heard from the mountain of Zion. And the voice says, How have we been despoiled? How did it happen? that we have been so despoiled, that everybody that wants to can come and rip us off and take a piece from us and rob us and do whatever they want. How did this happen? We are terribly embarrassed. It's a shame for us. That we are forced out of our own land that we are thrown out of our own land. So that was always thrown up to the Jewish people throughout its long exile that they were a homeless people. 
the wandering Jew, the legend of uh, like the flying Dutchman or the uh, man without a country who was condemned to travel on ships throughout the world, never being a citizen of any country, never having a place. So that was always seen as a shameful experience. Not just painful, but shameful, that no one wanted him. It's not till the 19th century in most of the countries in Europe that Jews became citizens of those countries. And it didn't really help us at the time of test. It's hard for American Jews to feel that way because we all feel we're Americans. We're all citizens, and we're, you know, we're Americans. Again, that's the, that's the blessing of this country. But the truth of the matter is that in no other part of the world the Jews feel that they're part of the country, even though they are citizens. Even you go to France, even in England, in many, many parts of the world, the Jews feel that, you know, that they have their bags packed. In the United States, we feel that... Uh, that that's not true. We have been forsaken. We don't have a country. They have thrown down our dwelling places. We have no country. They have thrown down the country. They have torn down the wall. We have nowhere to go. Again, the novice speaks to these women he has the fascination with these women, with the professional mourners, with those who come to cry. Let the women hear what God says. And let your ears absorb the words that God has to say. In other words, be cognizant of what's happening here. To teach your daughters Nehi how to weep. Train the next generation, the Novi says. Because it's not going to be over in a minute. You're going to need another generation of criers. You're going to need the next generation of weepers, of professional mourners. The Isha Reusa Kino, and let every woman. Teach her friend, Kino, how to mourn, how to say and sing the songs of sadness. Again, the great Posik, frightening Posik. Death has jumped in our windows. The imagery. Sometimes death comes in through the door, he's expected. And sometimes there's, God forbid, a tragedy and death jumps in through the window. Like an armed burglar that no one expected. That's the imagery of the Novi. Weeps through the window. He has come within our palaces, meaning our most protected places, where we felt that we were not in danger, where we could not be reached. I was in Israel for the, uh, so I went to see some of the damage that the Scuds did on the way to Bnei Brak, so I went near Savion, right? So you got the fanciest, most expensive homes, right? And some of them just leveled, right? 
So one of the ironies of the homes is that the only thing that was left around it was the big high fence, which is meant to keep out all the intruders, right? So that's the only thing that's left. The house is leveled. That's Borobarman Asenu. It has come to our palace. In the palace where we are protected and at home, you know, we have the burglar alarm system. And death has come in. Lahachris olel michutz. It has cut off the infant in the street. Killed our children. Bachuri merchovos. The young men who walked in the streets have been felled by the enemy. So that, the, that description that the Navi says is again the description of the exile the description of the destruction of the Jewish people and the uh, powerfully uh, descriptive form of how he sees death as an intruder that leaps in through the window, completely unexpected. Daber say as follows, God says. Tell them the truth. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't portray it in a more positive light. Daber ko, this is what you should say. Corpses of people will fall like dung in the fields of no value. So again, unfortunately, in our generation, we have lived to see that this is a literal description. It's not to be taken just allegorically or figuratively, but taken literally. People will be like sheaves of grain that fall after the gleaners, after the harvesters have gone through. So a piece of grain falls, nobody cares. Nobody bends to pick it up. That will be the fate of human beings. No one will come to gather them. So it means not only will no one will come to gather them in terms of help and aid and succor to, to try and revive them, but that even when they're dead, nobody will bury them. And be left. There'll be no one to bury them. So again, the, uh, anyone who has uh, read or uh, any books on the Holocaust or seen any of the pictures uh, realizes that uh, these words are uh, literal fact. It's exactly what happened to us without any embellishment. Now the Haftara concludes with uh, two, again, this is the epigram of the Haftara of how God looks at the world. Two of the most important psukim in Tanakh. Kol Amar Hashem, thus says the Rabboni Shalom. Al Yishalel Chochom Bechochmoso. Let not the wise man praise himself in the fact that he is wise. Look, he has all of his diplomas hanging on the wall. All of his intellectual accomplishments. 
al Yishalel Chochom Bechochmoso. Al Yishalel Hagibor Bigvuroso. Neither let the strong man, the courageous man, the hero, praise himself because of his courage, because of his physical strength. Al Yishalel Oshir Biosro. And let not the wealthy man praise himself, feel sanguine regarding himself because of his wealth. Thurmaforshim say that this not only refers as it does to the literal interpretation, the wise man in terms of a person who has good intelligence, and the gibor, the strong man, the hero who has uh, good physical traits, and the osher, the wealthy man who has wealth, money, but this refers to the attributes that the rabbis list in the book of Pirkei Ovos, where it says, Ezeu Oshir, I'm sorry, Ezeu Chochom, who is the wise man? So the Gemara there, the Mishnah there says, Alomid Mikol Odom, he is someone who learns from life, from every person. And who is the Gibor? HaKovesh Yitzro, who is able to control his desires. And the Oshir is Asameach Bechelko, the one who is satisfied. So we'll say, what can be greater than that? So the Novi comes and says, no, that's also not it. That's still not it. You still don't understand what, what God means. Even if, you, even if we would achieve those levels, which are very difficult to achieve, uh, which are of inordinate greatness, but even if a person would achieve it, al Yishalel, let him not praise himself. Let him not think that somehow he has been able to achieve greatness. If you want something to be proud about, proud of, you want to say a compliment about yourself, God said, I'll tell you what the compliment is. Haskel osi, That they know what I am. They know what I want that they have a clue as to what God wants in the world. That they have an attachment to me, which is uh, the highest of all accomplishments. I always mentioned that Rabbi Rosenberg, the Colonel of Rocha, always used to say, Vozok Gott, what does God say to this? What would God say to this set of circumstances? My caveat to that is, if you can't think in terms of God, so what would the IRS say? But that's Haskell Viadorosi. To understand, what do I say about it? How do I view it? What do I think about it? That's the basic question of Jewish life. It's the basic question, question in life generally. Ki ani Hashem chesed mishpot and here God defines himself. I am the Lord, O Chesed, that does Chesed is kindness, righteousness, goodness. God only wants to do good, not bad. Mishpat, a sense of righteousness, of justice, of truth. That's what Mishpat is. Utzdoka. So Utzdoka here means not charity, because charity here is included in chesed, but zdoka means doing what is right, 
what is moral, what is correct. The Lord prides himself, Kaviochel, on those three things, on goodness, on truth, and on righteousness, on rectitude, on moral rectitude. God says, these are the things, this is what I want. So if you want to be proud of yourself, if you want to say, look what a great person I am, look what I accomplish, look what kind of a, of, a, of a human being I am, this is the measure. The measure is haskel v'yodoa osi. Do you understand what I want? If you would understand that, so then everything else falls into place. So that, in effect, is the uh, consolation to the entire haftorah of bitterness which has preceded these last two psukim. Because uh, we can see a glimmer of hope that if we are able to uh, somehow strive for those goals and reach those ideals, so then the Lord is on our side, then we're allowed to boast, then we're allowed to be proud of ourselves. And that is the, uh, the task that the uh, entire history of the Jewish people has placed upon every generation of Jews to attempt to search out and find the Rabboni Shalom and follow his path and his way of life and his goals and definitions for us. J.M. in the A.M., I thank Rabbi Wine. Brilliant lecture on the Haftorah of Tisha B'Av. Thank you very, very much. And thank you to listener Rebietz who commented on the app specifically about this, uh, about this lecture. J.M. in the A.M., <coughs> set to wrap things up here. On a uh, Tuesday morning, we are in our nine days format. I mentioned that next week, we have a very exciting week, Baruch Hashem. On, um, on, first of all, before we get to the excitement, on Sunday, a very important day, the 10th of Av, is the observance of Tisha B'Av. And we will have the full program from the New Springville Jewish Center on Staten Island, El Davin Shacharis at, uh, at uh, 825. Then Kinos will be explained by Shlomo Y. Siegel starting at 9.15, then Shlomo Schwartz and Rabbi Yehuda Kovacs, Rabbi Elio Sonnenschein, and Rabbi Yosef Siegel. At 12.15, Mayor Simcha Siegel with thoughts about Tisha B'Av, and at 1 p.m., Rabbi Yaakov Lairfield, the youngest of Staten Island, with thoughts about Tisha B'Av. Seven presentations from 9.15 until Mincha at 2 o'clock. If you want to be there, it's 8.25 Shachris and Mincha at 2 p.m., you can watch the entire program live at NahumSiegel.com and, of course, hear the entire thing on our app and on the Nahum Siegel Network, on our listen line, etc., etc. So keep all that in mind for Sunday. Also Sunday, the Isaiah Wall is the place for the annual Tisha B'Av Mincha for Israel and Jews in danger around the world, including here in the United States. This Sunday at 2 p.m. at the Isaiah Wall, Mincha. Uh, opposite the UN, 1st Avenue and 43rd Street. It'll be full mincha with Torah reading, or by Stephen Exler of the Hebrew Institute of Riverdale will preside. Bring your sitter, your talus, your tefillin. Um, information, 212-663-5784. That's happening um, on Tisha B'Av on Sunday. So keep that in mind. Um... What else do we have? Uh, the annual Catskills Nine Days Conference is today. When did honor thy children become one of the Ten Commandments? 
Dr. David Pelkovitz, Dr. Faye Zakon, Dr. Shoshana Friedman, Hindi Klein, all together at 1.30 today at the Falls View Estate Shul in Fallsburg, New York. Information, unitedtaskforce.org. Again, that happens today, beginning at uh, 1.30. Tonight is the um, annual memorial and tribute to uh, Zev Jabotinsky. Tonight, starting at 7 p.m., admission is free at the Parkey Synagogue, 164 East 68th Street in New York. That's tonight starting at 7 p.m. Information, um, you can contact AFSI at 212-828-2424 or go to afsi.org. Aryeh King and Amots Elyal will both be speaking tonight at the Jabotinsky Memorial. Should be a very interesting gathering. That is tonight in New York City at the Park East Synagogue. I got a note from uh, listener Sina. Uh, she says, two simchas to celebrate. Mazel Tov to our number two grandson, Mordechai Gifter of Staten Island, celebrating birthday number 18 today. Mordechai, we hope you have a great birthday and that you're having a fabulous time in camp. And... Happy birthday to Mordechai's little brother, Yisrael Zev Gifter, who turned five years old yesterday. Yisrael Zev, you're such a cutie pie, and we love you to the moon and back. We hope you enjoy your Lego birthday celebration in camp today with much love to both birthday boys from Bubby and Zadie, Florida. We know them, of course, as Listener Cena and Mr. Listener Cena down in the Sunshine State. I want to thank everybody, Shalom Hammer. He joined us earlier. He's author of the book, Armed with Spirit, a father's advice to his son in the Israeli army based on the weekly Torah portions. I cannot recommend this book enough. I really can't recommend it enough. It's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. A reminder again, this Sunday, New Springville Jewish Center. Uh, Shachris at 8.25, 9.15, the program begins. You can watch the entire program at NahumSiegel.com. Of course, hear it on our listen line and hear it on our app, the NSN app. Kinos will be explained starting at 9.15 in the morning by Shlomo Y. Siegel, Shlomo Schwartz, or by Yehuda Kovacs, Rabbi Leo's son and son, Rabbi Yosef Siegel. Thoughts about Tisha B'Av at 12.15 with Mayor Simcha Siegel and 1 o'clock Rabbi Yaakov Learfield. Uh, then Mincha at 2 p.m. All at the New Springville Jewish Center, 120 Saxon Avenue in Staten Island. Watch it all at NahumSiegel.com. And uh, listen in on the NSN app. And, um, and, of course, on our listen line as well if you want to call in. The annual Amit Yomiyun Day of Learning for Women by Women is tomorrow, starting at 9.30 in the morning at the Sephardic Temple on Branch Boulevard in Cedarhurst. The keynote speaker is Razie Chechik, head of school of Manhattan Day School. Her, her topic is Letters Floating in the Air, the story of the woman who printed the Vilna Talmud. Lunch will follow. Information, amitchildren.org slash yomiyun, amitchildren.org slash yomiyun. The bake sale for the Lone Soldier Center that provides physical and emotional support for lone soldiers in Israel, especially now that many are coming back from active duty. The bake sale to support the Lone Soldier Center is uh, Thursday, 11 a.m. until 6, Friday, 10.30 until 3 at Breezy's Dimples, 554 Central Avenue, 
in Cedarhurst. That is this coming uh, Thursday and Friday. And the Tishabov program in Flatbush at the Ocean Parkway Jewish Center has been announced. On Saturday night, uh, they'll do Mariv and Eicha and Kinnis beginning at 9.45. Then Rabbi Shmuel Yaakov Klein will speak. On Sunday, Shachris will be at 8 o'clock. Kinnis will be led by Rabbi Ephraim Levine. At 1 o'clock, Rabbi Simcha Scholar will speak. There'll be a Mincha at uh, 2 p.m. Then Rav Herschel Zolte, uh, Rav Yosef Wiener, Rav Moshe Tuvia Leaf, and Rav Daniel Gladstein, and Rav Moshe Meiselman, and Rav Yerucham Olshin, and Rav Fischl Schechter. Then Marav Havdal and Kiddush Levana at 8.40. It's all happening at the Ocean Parkway Jewish Center, 550 Ocean Parkway in Brooklyn, New York, so you can check that out. And again, a reminder, we do our uh, our program Sunday from the new Springville Jewish Center uh, with many distinguished speakers about Kinnos and Tisha B'Av. It's going to go 8.25 Shachar, so it'll go from 9.15 until 2 o'clock. Mincha will be at 2 o'clock. And uh, then Monday, Mordechai Shapiro is expected in our studio. This coming Monday here at JM in the AM. Looking forward to greeting him. And um, Tuesday we'll be here at JM in the AM. And then Tuesday after the show, we fly to Israel with Nefesh Benefesh, the Aliyah flight with hundreds of Olim, with great stories. Cannot wait to do the show from the plane. You'll hear that show Wednesday between 6 and 9 a.m. Eastern time. Again, Wednesday between 6 and 9 a.m. Eastern time right here. At JM in the AM. Thursday, assuming all the flights work out and the timetable is uh, reliable, uh, Thursday we will be here uh, at JM in the AM uh, in studio uh, back in New York, and that is the schedule for next week. Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSegal.com, on the NachumSegal Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up a uh, Tuesday here at JM and the AM. Plenty more tomorrow starting at 6 a.m. as our nine days format continues. Have a fabulous Tuesday. Till tomorrow, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.